Hello, everyone, and welcome to Between the Sheets, episode number 367. I'm your host, Chris Zellner, joined as always by my co-host, David Bix and Span and Bix. We got another 80s show this week as we rewind uh, a full calendar year from last week, going back to 1988 on a Patreon-requested show by Greg Sirota, who will be joining us later on the show as he put the $50 down to do the WF section. So, um, so yeah, so uh, first off, how are you doing this week? I'm doing fine. Awesome, awesome. All right, um, at the beginning of the show, I want to... Uh, put this out of the way because uh it's something that was pretty important to me and i think the show itself that took place over the weekend all right sydney city invitational took place over the weekend and um of course you know i went to three of them you went to how many two yes you went to two so it's a, it's always an event that's special to us, you know, because a lot of our friends are involved in it, both creatively and working in it. You know, wrestling. We have a lot of friends that wrestle in that as well, and um, took place over the weekend. And once again, very good tournament. Jay Newman was the winner, rightfully so. It was his time. He des- he deserved to get get the get the shot, and um, all that, but. Two of our very good friends um, wrestled on a match on Saturday night that <laughs> I, I, I could, I'm going to take credit for in a lot of ways because I on Friday night, once they, they lost their, their first round tournament matches, Daniel Maccabe and Dominic Garini, I told Dylan, Dylan Hales, on Twitter, I said, Dylan, book these guys against each other. And in, in so many words, put them against each other. Tomorrow night. And then uh, when, I forget who was it, and, oh, and then when the entrances started, Dylan said on commentary, Chris Zellner, you got it. <laughs> so, so Dylan, who I love as, as, a, as a brother, I definitely want to thank him for, uh, for doing that. And they went out there and had as close to a battle art style match as you'll see in America. And it was just fantastic, and it was uh, it was just amazing. And I mean, I was just so glad that those two were. It was the first time they actually had a one-on-one pr- proper match like this, because they had so they had a match, but it was like a grappling style match. But this is the first time they had a one-on-one like right. it pro was, wrestling. Uh, match. It was in the WXW Ambition Tournament. Yes. So, just the fact that you know I. Play maybe a small part in that happening was very important. And then Dan cut a promo after the match, acknowledging his health issues. He's got some back issues, vertebrae, and uh, he's not long for the wrestling world. He didn't retire, but he said he's going to wrestle a handful of times in his home area, and he's going to call it a day. And... You know, this is that was the last time he was going to be wrestling in the southeast. Well, he said he wasn't even sure, but it could be. Pro- yeah, possibly, but I'm thinking it probably was. Yeah, but I don't think he ain't going to top that. What he what happened Saturday night? So go out on top. Right. But um, Dan's a, a, a great friend of ours. You know, we've known him forever. <laughs> we, I mean, we, we knew him when he was a teenager. You know, young youngster like us. You know, Def Odd Driver message board back in the day. Yeah. And, um, you know, Dom, of course, we've got to know and love over the uh, over the years. 
as uh, being a guest and listener of our show. And just the fact that they were able to go out there and have that moment. I mean, that was important to me and the show. And, uh, yeah, I just want everybody to go see that. Go watch that on IWTV. If anything else, I mean, you watch tournament, please watch tournament. Watch everything else. But watch that match. Because, believe me, you'll enjoy it. So, you know, shout both them out for being awesome guys. Kevin Koo was, you know, there as well. We love Ke- love Koo. So, uh, yeah, just great stuff, and uh, glad to glad to be a part of that. Yeah. And uh, hopefully, we'll have them on again in the near future, so uh, we can talk about some more when they're on. But uh, yeah. yeah, that was that was a great great moment. Yes, and I did also like Dan mentioning someone uh, who we met in Chattanooga saying that they thought he was twenty three years old. <laughs> Dan looks like a young guy. He, he could pass. Yeah. He could pass for 23. He's a young guy, but yeah, that was... Yeah, uh, I mean, he's a great, little older stuff. than me, but he... I look, I think, fairly young for my age. Uh, but he still looks younger than me. Depends on... With you, it depends, Bex, on uh, your facial hair, hair combo. Well, at the time. I haven't been... I've, I've been keeping an eye on that lately, so... <laughs> So anyway, right, I, know, so, I know my I know my roommates were surprised when they found out how old I was. Well, but that was always a joke when 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 you were always clean shaven. We always joked about how how young you look. So well, I am you so, generally yeah. clean shaven these days. So. Yeah. So anyway, all right. So we want to get that out of the way before we get started with the show. All right. So let's get started with the show. This is a ten day week because of uh, previous shows where getting everything matched up. So let's go to August the 7th through the 16th of 1988. And we begin with Jim Crockett Promotions. It's been a great week for rumors, but a lousy week for news. That's why the show's only 16 pages. <laughs> At this point, Dave said, I don't take rumors of wrestlers jumping very seriously. It's kind of when they're there, they're there type of thing. And nobody's officially jumped from the NWA. Despite the rumors that every single wrestler from Ric Flair to the Italian Stallion is going to, and that Vincent Mann and Pat Patterson's phone lines were buzzing all week. Just remember, an acquiring phone call and a change in jobs are two very different things. At this point, nothing major has happened, but nothing would be surprising either. Now, we'll have more on this as we move along, because Steve Beverly has a, has a couple of things on this we'll get into from Matt Watch, but... I understand where the talent's coming from here because there is a, a high amount of uncertainty over what's going to happen because the promotion is actively for sale, which we're going to get into in a minute. And they've been talking about, you know, selling to Ted Turner for a good three months now, and still it hasn't been done. So I can see where talent's like, okay, well, something's going to happen here. And then you got some of them that are tired of Dusty Rhodes and tired of, of him being still in charge of creative. So, yeah, there's a lot of insured, unsuredness about you know, what's, what's going on. And that, had the contracts been breached yet, everyone's, because of the financial issues? Well, this is August. I think they were by the... Oh, right, because when do Arn and Tully leave? September? September 10th was our last day. Okay, so yeah, that's presumably happened by this point. Well, because also we know Flair was at least contacted 
for sure because of the whole SummerSlam thing that doesn't happen. So I, I got to think the breach, the official breach has happened by this point. Yeah. So um, there's a lot of people pissed off and, right, and rightfully so. So if they can get work in, in WF, then they're going to try to do their best they can to, to get in there. It's understandable. Of course. You know? Now let's talk about that sale. From all reports, the perspective sale of the NWA Turner Entertainment is closer than ever. The holdup right now appears that to be that Turner's group wants the NWA to clear its outstanding debts before an actual sale takes place. As we've been saying for a while, something major in the organizational structure of the NWA will be changing. Because it simply has to change. But what those changes will be is something we can only speculate. Now let's go to Steve Beverly. Unless a deal was struck at the press time, Matt Watch can say that the Turner people met with the Crockett's on August 7th. The premise is that Crockett will negotiate settlements with his creditors. If those terms were acceptable, Ted Turner would pay off the debts, and the payoff would be deduced from the NWA purchase price. The biggest creditor owed is Cowboy Bill Watts, and his money owed is $2.5 to $3 million. Watts' desire, Jimmy Crockett, said that it intensified. The Cowboy flew to Dallas last week to meet with Crockett, who didn't show up. It's probably the fourth unsuccessful attempt Watts has made at a telephone or personal contact with Crockett. <laughs> so Jimmy Crockett is ghosting Cowboy Bill Watts. I'm sure that went over really well. I wonder if his roommate Dave picked up at any point. <laughs> but good Lord. Not the guy I would try to be doing that with, you know? <laughs> no. Definitely not. Just saying. But, I mean... I get where Turner's coming from. Why would we want to buy a company that's this that's got this much debt? Yeah. So of course they they want that cleared up. I, if they can clear it up, they they can they'll clean it. They'll help them out. Okay, so now I'm curious. Then was just buying assets not a thing at the time? I guess not. Or is it more because they want? At this point, at least they're telling the Crockett's that they want them to still run the company. Is it more that, for the Crockett's own sake, they want them to have their debt settled? I guess they just wanted they wanted taken care of. Yeah. But um, yeah. I mean, so we're we're getting close. We're getting close. Uh, There's a lot of worry this week about the status of Ric Flair, Tully Blanchard, and Anderson. So it's all indicated they were history unless a specific change was made. Oh, Crockett oh, basically, oh! I wonder what that was. And Crockett basically called their bluff. And as you saw on WTBS this weekend, Flair, Anderson, and Blanchard aren't history. Okay. Well, mm-hmm. hold on, hold on. Let me yeah. let me continue to add this to, to, from Matt Watch. That was Dave. In a week rife with rumors, Matt Watch was told if a feud was abruptly not promoted and certain wrestlers missing on WCW, count the horsemen gone for the NWA. Okay. So here's the thing. Obviously, the way to read this is Dusty out as Booker is the ultimatum, right? Yes. But it's A, Dave Meltzer, B, 1988 Dave Meltzer. Why is he holding that back? That's weird, right? I don't know. I mean, I guess. But maybe Dave Dave isn't as sure at this point in time. Mm. Because you look at what Steve says here. If a feud was abruptly not promoted and certain wrestlers missing on WCW, count the horsemen gone from the NWA. Hmm. So who would that be? 
would that be would be other than Flay or Arn and Tully? Well, I mean, would that be Arn and Tully and Midnight says the feud? Hmm. Maybe. Well, anyway, Matt Watch continues. Hot rumor is that Ric Flair will be Brother Love Surprise guest at the August 29th SummerSlam pay-per-view. Don't rule it out, but there's still more than a week for the show. WF says Kurt Henning will not be the surprise as originally thought. Okay. They must have thought it was going to be Flair at the, t- at the point they started pushing it hard on TV. Because, now, this wasn't true, but barely anyone would have realized that at the time. They start pushing it as someone who's never been in Madison Square Garden before. That was the, the beginning of it, yes. Yeah. And it ends up being Duggan, who has already wrestled at the Garden for the WWF. Well, they, but, you know, and we'll play a clip of this later from Brother Love. It becomes his surprise guest. Yes. So it's not, it's not going to be a first time in the Garden. It's a surprise guest. Yeah. So... Luckily for them, they didn't really make the, a huge deal out of that. Sure. Because that would have looked bad if they would have really pushed that hard and then delivered what they did. So. Yes, absolutely. Back to Matt Watch. One story has Crockett dumping Ivan Koloff, Russian assassin Paul Jones, Ken the Wyndham, among others. Matt Watch has been told that Crockett, if he still owns the company, will make some roster cuts before this weekend. But Steve would be surprised if the squad would be cut as low as 18 key wrestlers, as we were told last week. Those cuts would not be unusual right before business transaction. Crockett could attempt to liquidate certain contracts, and Ted could renegotiate after a sale with the same wrestlers if they are still available. All right, so we have that. Let's go to Dave. Dusty is said to be looking at bringing in a few new faces. While there are rumors of wrestlers being let go, there are no notable names that's in on cards booked through late September. One of the new faces being considered is Carl Moffat, Jason the Terrible in Calgary, and Barry Gaspar in New Japan. However, Moffat probably won't give up his Japanese commitment, so the deal isn't expected to be completed. Moffat was going to be brought in as Russian assassin number two to tag up with Dave Sheldon. And Steve Beverly in the next week's Matt Watch uh, says that Carl Moffat turns down Dusty in NWA because he was not going to give up his New Japan commitments. So there's that. So we got this note from Steve about all these people, you know, talking about being cut. But yet, Dusty's talking about bringing in new faces. So, I think that kind of maybe goes against the theory that Steve has about, you know, cuts, being able to liquidate and stuff like that here, if they're bringing in new people. You would think so. It just sounds like Dusty wants to uh, change things, but why would they? I mean, Russian Assassin just started his gimmick, you know, in June. Yeah. So that's kind of a funky one. Ken the Windows, the brother of, you know, Barry, who, I mean, you know, who is one of the hottest guys in the company. Ivan, I get. Paul Jones, I get. But none of these happen. They don't cut any of these guys. No. So. All right. How show? A bash tour ended on August 7th before 6,800 for Pretty Hot Card in Kansas City. Okay. I'm curious before we even get to the results. How well did Crockett normally draw in Kansas City since for their own wrestling and often for WWF, they had not been doing great. Um, let me look and see. I'm checking. Real All right, so if we, if we go to 88, this is the only show. Well, there you go. So they ain't been there in a minute. <laughs> 87. And it's a Kemper arena too. 
So 87, I'd be looking at stuff from later in the year, let's see, when they're not with Geigel. So they were ran... 1900 on October 16th. And that's the only one we have attendance for. Yeah. And that was a TV shoot as well. For, uh, and it was UWF ready. Yeah. Yeah. So. so this is, in some ways, this is the kind of the first Crockett, outright Crockett branded show in Kansas City. Kind of a sort of, yes. All right. So the, the tour ended on August 7th, Kansas City for 6800. Uh, Rick Steiner went to a 10 minute trouble there as a Bisco in a good match, with Steiner going over great as a babyface. Al Perez destroyed J.R. Hogg in 63 seconds. Jimmy Garvin over Kevin Sullivan in 437. Ronnie Garvin KO'd Kendall Willem in 501. Fantastics over Midnight's in 1408 when Jim Cornette interfered for the title saving DQ. Both teams were cheered coming to the ring. Although the Fantastics got the majority of the cheers once the match started, as usual. Both teams were excellent here. Sting over Mike Rotunda by DQ in 1218 when Rick and Sullivan interfered. Was Bill's Texas death match between Dr. Death and Arn Anderson ended with Doc the winner in one fall when Arn was coming out of the ring. Ugh. Road Warriors over Ivan Koloff and Russian Assassin in a scaffold match. And the main event was a six man steel cage match as Lex Luger teamed up with the Texas Outlaws. Dusty Rose and Dick Murdoch to be Ric Flair, Tully Blanchard, and Barry Windham in 1509 when Lex pinned Tully. Well, that sounds fun. And we'll play we'll play a promo of the reunited Texas Outlaws here, and because uh, I love that, I wish they would have done that more often in in '88. Mm-hmm. The Ric Flair Lex Luger rematches are over in a big way. The cards in Norfolk and Richmond and Philadelphia the past week were said just all just about sold out. They think the gimmick of the matches in your city is the only rematch between the two is part of this re- is going over so well, and that's the way they were building it. You know, in those specific markets, this is the only rematch you'll have, and it's in your town. They should also point out something about there in Baltimore. Whether he liked the ending or thought the execution of it was good, and there should have been more blood, and the mice denied the point. If the rematches draw, and these rematches are drawing, then it was a successful ending. Case closed on that one. Any thoughts they pissed off fans of that ending should be forgotten given the case of the rematches. And he's right. Because more often than not, they drew very good on the, in that rematch, that first rematch. Secondary matches, they had a couple of, you know, shaky spots in towns. But that first rematch, they did very well in. It was a hot house show program. And, you know, Flair, Flair Luke was hot. And it, those shows get even hotter once we get, I mean, briefly Midnight's Horseman. But that, yeah. that part doesn't last. Yeah. Ron Garvin and Tim Horner are both no longer here. Garvin quit slash fired over misunderstanding before the Norfolk card. It's rumored to be AWA bound. Especially since the AWA is planning on running lots of shows in the Carolinas using Wahoo, Rachel Bull, Garvin, and Robert Gibson's main attractions, all of whom headlined here in recent years. Horner was supposed to do a job for the Mass Maniac, Italian Stallion in Norfolk, as part of an angle, plus for footage of learning the ropes. Mass Maniac is Alzado's wrestling name, and they were going to be shooting the match for wrestling footage to be put in the TV series. There's talk of him going to Continental, although nothing definite on that. Now you go see the yeah, where he becomes a, a paid job guy. Well, Garvin, paid job guy. guy. Prelim guy, Horner, because he's doing house shows and working better. Yeah, he's a, he's a paid job guy. I mean, it's the same thing. I mean, it's a, he's a paid job guy. He's a contract job guy, I think is what you mean. Like, like a Barry Yes, Horowitz. when I say paid, yes, that's what I mean. Like Scott Casey. They're more like Scott Casey than Barry Horowitz. That's the, that's the correlation there. So, um, 
Ronnie Garvin, you know, they just do the heel turn. And he's obviously going to be feeding with Dusty, but he wasn't having it. <laughs> you know? Him and, he, him, he, him and Dusty were definitely not getting along, so to speak. And uh, he, he walks out. No. I mean, yeah. I mean, sorry. Put the wrong way in there. But uh, Dusty, of course, ends up saying he beat him up in a parking lot. Oh, yes. Naturally. Hilarious. All right, so there's a job open. Ron Simmons got his job back on the spot, which opened up when Tim Horner left. Yeah, Ron Simmons was gone for a while. And then he comes back here, and they he start putting him on TV, and that's when he starts doing his anti-drug speeches. Hmm. And they start doing the teases where he's going to uh, – He's going to turn, possibly join a varsity club. That didn't happen. You know? Yeah. And turn him heel next year. So, there you go. Was he right we mentioned it while he was away or no? No. 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 All right, we talked about Norfolk. They uh, did TV there. Drew 9,500 fans at the scope for a $98,900 gate. That's pretty stout. Trent Knight picks. So for Tim Horner and learn the Rose match against the Mass Maniac, who was a heel since he was matched by Jim Cornette. After the match, Chili Blanchard run and destroyed the Maniac using the slingshot suplex, which brought cheers from the crowd. See, Bix, your boy Trent Knight got in there in the spot. Always taking advantage of an opportunity given to him, huh? Sure. First time in NWA Pro for air date this weekend, so might return to be Ken the Windham. Brad Armstrong beat out Perez by DQ. Rick Sullivan came out. He gave Perez a chain, and they doubled up on him until some jobbers made the save, and it was a good match. Worldwide was all squash matches, although they debuted a new segment called Straight Talk with the Boss, hosted by Madden of TA. Dark matches saw Barry Wyndham pin the key to Koloff. Tully and Arn goes to WQ of the Midnights in a four-star match. Fans were about 55-45 pro horsemen in this match. And Memphis saw Luger flared by DQ, and JJ interfered. After match, Luger had flare pin, and Ricky Morton counted the pinfall, which brought the other horsemen to the ring, and they destroyed Morton and Luger. Stout, and I'm, and you know what? Well, Luger and Flair deserve the credit. How much? That's credit, what I say. How much credit do you give to Horsemen Midnight's though? Now they're part of it. <laughs> I mean, yeah, but Luger and Flair, I think, deserves credit the most. Yes. So, but it's very strong support. Yeah. All right, so we got clips now. Let's go to NWA Pro, where the Horsemen are all together. Always a treat. So let's go to that clip, shall we? Back at ringside, here we are with the world champions and James J. Dillon. J.J., I see a very happy man around all the arenas uh, recently, and of course... James J. Dillon? Well, maybe, it's, excuse me, it's J.J. Tilly and Arn, sorry. Excuse me, yes. all the horsemen. But I like how he called him James J. Dillon. <laughs> James. Do you, know, do, you know a, do you know a Jamie Dillon or a, perhaps a James Dillon? Does he, does he know James Gum? That's literally what I was going for there, Chris. <laughs> anyway. I'm talking about Jim Cornette. He seems very happy. I think he finally got what he wanted. Well, you know, Bob Cole, I was always taught from a youngster that one should respect one's mother and father. But when I gave, became a man, I, I gave up my childish ways. And one of my childish ways was leading my life to please my mother. Because now that I'm a man, I please my banker. That's who I please, and I think there's a message in there. From Bob Coddle's like that. Arn. Bob Coddle, I went into this whole situation with a level head 
appealed to Bobby Eaton's senses. I never said much to Stan Lane. He's not tight like Bobby Eaton and I were. I've marveled at the things you do in the ring, Bobby. I have sat and listened and watched and marveled at the athlete that you are. Stan Lane is a qualified athlete in anybody's line. He knows martial arts. He knows conditioning. He hits the weight room. He does it all to be at the top of his game, and he had my respect. But when two qualified athletes let a punk that's never worked in a day in his life, never earned any notoriety inside that ring, never had on an athletic supporter, to say the very least, come and get in the horseman's face, which are the creme de la creme. Ask anybody that's got eyesight and do their talking for them. Then, Bobby, I got to look at all those times in a bar when I grabbed that lady by the hand and brought her to you and said, Butte, this one's yours, because you didn't have the knowledge of the English language to say it for yourself. Stan Lane, you're just like those girls you chase all the time. You don't know what you want when you grow up. I want a midnight special tonight, or I want the horseman tomorrow night. Well, gentlemen, remember one thing. Cornette can stand on this concrete, say what he wants to, do what he wants to, but Cornette, as God is my witness, and I speak explicitly for myself, you whack me with something that John McEnroe makes a living with, and I'll shove it down your neck, because the bottom line is, I'm a man, I was raised a man, he's a man, he's a man, and mama ain't told me what to do since I was 10 years old. It's going to be an explosion, fans. When they meet, don't go away. We'll be back. We'll have more right after we take this time out. One of the best pro wrestling TV show theme songs. Um, and Arnold Anderson, fantastic. Yes. And I guess it wasn't. I guess, well, let me think for a second. Um. When is that? When is the first show at the new uh, Charlotte Coliseum, where uh, they try to serve him with the uh, paternity paperwork for the one, the girl that would become Lauren Boebert? Stan. Yeah. The, the new Charlotte Coliseum. Yeah, I'm looking for the date. Okay, that's later in the month. Okay, on August 27th. Yeah. So I. I... <laughs> That was an interesting comment about the, the when they don't know what they're going to do when they grow up when um, Lauren Boebert's mother was underage when uh, she was conceived. Well, she might be on the horseman too. Who knows? <laughs> uh, well, if it, if it, the timing wouldn't work for that. I don't think. But well, anyway, interesting line. But I love a promo there. Oh yes, although. It is interesting when you think about it, based on the, the shots that the two teams take at each other, even though the Midnights are the baby face in the feud, even if they're not, excuse me, outright baby faces yet, from the content of the promos, the horsemen are kind of the baby face. Yes, because the heat's on Cornette. Yes, even though the Midnights are being framed as the baby faces. Yes. All right, well, let's go to the Texas Outlaws, the reunited Texas Outlaws as a Dick Murdoch has returned to the fold with Dusty, and uh, they have some things to talk about, including the Sheik. Let's go to the clip. Actually, real quick before I start playing it, do we have any idea what the provenance of this copy of this episode of Pro is? Because it's quite nice quality here on uh, 4 Wrestling Fans' channel. I mean, you'll get that. 
Oh, at this time. I mean, it looks, better good... than, it looks a little better than VHS, I feel like. Yeah, you get some good quality of stuff. Could this potentially be a, I won't use the last name, a Reggie tape? Maybe. Maybe I don't know. The, the super beta? But anyway. Fans for nine years, the most dominant tag team in the sport, the Texas Outlaws. And I know Gary Hart and Ron Garvin got the message last week. Well, you know what? I love the intensity that is going on now. I think the intensity level is high. And it should have been there a long time ago because this is a pay-for-playing situation that we're in here, Daddy. Dusty Rose, the American dream. Now then, the husband come out here. Dr. Death, Nikita Koloff, Sting, Alex Luger, the Fantastics, all of us now drawing together and with the bond of the Texas Outlaws back together, riding the range and acting strange. Brother, you want somebody acting strange? I'm as strange as you can get. Let me tell you something, Ric Flair. When the super body, the super stud, the super athlete, Lex Luger, come out here and say it's over for you, you better look around the corner because Lex Luger... And Ronnie Garvin, Gary Hart, Al Perez, Kevin Sullivan, and the Hosman now got to deal with the most dominant team ever, and that is the Texas Outlaws. You know, Tony, there's strange things that always happen to bring people back together, and one of the strangest things happened in Detroit. You know, when Dusty Rhodes and Dick Murdoch fought each other, it was face-to-face. -face. There wasn't no back jumping. There wasn't no claim jumping. It was all face-to-face. -face. And when I was fighting this man and he was fighting me, we didn't ask anybody for help. We wanted it one-on-one. -on -one. And all of a sudden, you look up, and here's Ronnie Garvin, sucker punching from behind. That was a big deal, a big shot. Sure, it knocked Dusty out. But I'll guarantee you what, a lot of people sneak up from behind anybody and knock them out. And you talk about the horse. They talk about how they partied, how they drank. Well, I'm going to tell you something, boys. They, nobody can out-drink me. But when it comes to fighting, ain't nobody going to fight me either. Because I'll guarantee you, I ain't going to back up from one single human being. And right now, the Texas Outlaws reunited. And there's going to be a lot of tails kicked around here. And I'm not going to do it now. So I'm not going back the way it was. I'm going to do it the way I've been doing it for the last three, four, five years. It takes tables, chairs, boards. I'm going to use them. Now, I don't like a lot of people at Dusty Team but through the years. But I'll guarantee you what, if I have to go out and shake hands with them to get a deal done, then I'll shake hands. But after that deal's done, I'm going back to my normal self. Dusty, here's my hand to you. I'll be watching your back. It's our original Texas Outlaws, and I'll guarantee you what, Jim Puckett National National Alliance better look out because there's going to be a trail of glory blazed. Get it done. All right, the Texas Outlaws back well, they're again. They're very here. But that's the, right. that's the big match they build up to is them against Sheik and Sullivan in Detroit. The original Sheik, yes. The Papa House in Detroit, Wait, which they which do. Which one... Was the was it the first match that popped the house or was it both with Sheik? All right, so well, okay. Here's the thing though: the Sheik actually does. He knows that's already the happened. Second one. When the, yeah, he still showed the second one because Dusty teamed with the Sheik to beat Sullivan and Murdoch. And see, they don't he mention turned. it there, but they, they yeah. Sheik turned on Dusty. That drew seven thousand, and he no showed the next one. And Zabisco took his spot. Team was team was solving his roads and Murdoch. Just to tell you how that, that screwed the city up, Bix, yeah. they went from 7,500 on that show on September 4th, October 21st, they 1,300, same building. With uh, uh, a Luger-Flair main event, but Luger was out with conjunctivitis, so Steam took a spot, but still. Yeah, what was, what was it that with the house going up, because it was 7,000 people for the previous Kobo show, that Sheik was demanding, even though no one had agreed to it, he was demanding his customary 10%? Mm -hmm. And 
Crockett was like, we didn't agree on that. Nope. And Sheik is like, but I'm the Sheik. Everyone knows I always get 10%. <laughs> Wait, Not this time, brother. So if we're going by the alleged formula and how it was described, because um, it's a tag match, in theory, he'd be getting 4%. Yeah. So he was asking basically for two and a half times what he was told he would be paid. Yeah. All right, so let's go to World Championship Wrestling now. And Jim Cornette has some things to say about the horseman. So let's go to one James E. Cornette. The situation involving the Midnight Express and Arn Anderson and Tully Blanchard. And, well, not a dull moment right here, fans. Here's... Jim Rose, is that your real face, or are you breaking that in for a bulldog, sweetie? You know something? Let me talk to you, David. <laughs> you know, it seems that the confrontation has already begun the Midnight Express against Tully Blanchard and Arn Anderson, and I was scared. I was worried. I was afraid that Tully and Arn might have an unfair advantage against us because of those four horsemen vitamins. So you know what I did? I went in Arn Anderson's bag when he wasn't around. I snuck in there. I got a bottle of them four horsemen vitamins, and I wanted to check them out. So I took that top off, and I took them out, and you know what I found? I found those four horsemen vitamins are all shaped like Fred and Wilma Flintstone, and they're chewable. Now, right off, we can tell they don't grow too good of a head of hair, because between the three of them, they ain't got one. But I thought maybe, just maybe, they might have some kind of power, some kind of physical power that they were giving the horsemen. To, but then I looked at Tully Blanchard's physique, and I figured Tully Blanchard, he's already made arrangements. When he dies, he's going to leave that body to science fiction. Now, let me tell you something, Tully Blanchard and Arn Edison, the fact of the matter is it's already started and before it's over the midnight express are gonna be the world tag team champions and everybody's taking sides i heard gary hart out here saying bad things about us well i ain't gonna say nothing bad about gary hart because he's a very important man around tbs he's fixed to take over grandpa's place as the host of super scary saturday because gary hart's so ugly he makes grandpa munster look like a playgirl centerfold but i tell you what after we beat tilly and Arn, after we win the world tag team title he can bring max headroom and a frito band over here, and we'll bump them off and send Gary Hart back to his previous occupation, haunting houses. So just remember, in a confrontation between the Midnight Express and Tully Blanchard and Arn Anderson, it's just like the old saying, it's when an irresistible force meets an immovable object, and brother, I don't know whether Tully and Arn are an immovable object or not, but I guarantee you one thing, the Midnight Express and Jim Cornette <laughs> are simply irresistible. <laughs> nice talking to you today, David. Wonderful time. All right, ladies and gentlemen, the United States Tag Team Champions, the Midnight Express. We're going to have the World Tag Team Champions later in the program, but let's go to the ring for more action right now. So, I mean, it's obvious that Jim Cornette and the Midnight are positioned as baby faces from that promo. Yes, yes. Um, boy, did those sunglasses not hide that it looks like Stan Lane is on another planet here. <laughs> oh, Stan, here's the thing. You know who the most happiest person of all regarding this whole thing? It's a Stan Lane. Because I think he loved being a baby face. Oh, I wonder why. <laughs> but he is not doing his usual mugging or anything during this promo at all. Uh, he's, uh, he had a long night. He's got sunglasses on, and he is, uh, he is licking and sucking on his lips a lot. <laughs> yeah, he had a long night. All right, well, speaking of guys that would all have long nights. Oh, and he's let's oh, go he's to scratching the his nose, too. I missed that earlier. <laughs> uh, let's go to the horsemen, shall we? Horsemen proper here. I think, okay. I think this is all of them. 
How many are going to be wearing sunglasses, though? We'll see. The greatest world heavyweight champion ever, Rick Flair, the king in his court. The horseman, look at him. What we have right here is a family situation that causes distress. So Wyndham is the only one that ha doesn't have any kind of eyewear on. Uh, Nate has the usual sunglasses. Arn has the kind of tinted, but not all the way, sunglasses. And Tully and JJ are just both wearing regular eyeglasses. Yeah, Nate's sunglasses aren't the dark sunglasses either. No, there's a little bit of a fade in them. Yeah. yeah. So I, I don't know if those are the right sunglasses you would use if... Uh, yeah, Nate wore three. darker than dark, way darker glasses than that when he on occasion. And great suit on Nate here, by the way, too. Yes. To the hearts of every wrestler in the world today, and Lex Luger. The bottom line is, you came out here and you called it as you saw it, and that is Ric Flair and the Horsemen are at the peak of their game. In other words, the World Tag Team Champions, the United States Heavyweight Champion, the mastermind that controls it all. And in my own humble little way, I'm just the World Heavyweight Champion. So Nikita, Luger, Sting, Dr. Death, all the Road Warriors, Lex Luger, and last but not least, your highness, Sir Dusty Rhodes. Y'all just have to go out back and pull your own chain because there's nobody here in this great family that really cares what you think, what you want, or what you can do. Because as Arn Anderson said, all you know it's what we tell you. <laughs> That's the bottom line. Because we are the horsemen. We are the world champions. We are the very best that this sport has to offer. And a lot of you wrestlers out there, a lot of you fans out there don't like it. But the bottom line is, once again, learn to like it. Because it is the best thing going today. God bless each and every one of you. You got a problem? You got a problem? <laughs> it's no problem. Look us up. It's been your pleasure as usual. <laughs> okay, oh, ladies and gentlemen, the horsemen, you've got to say that they definitely rule the wrestling world. Let's go to the ring for a lot of great action. All right. Well, the Holiday Brothers about to get beat by the Fantastics, so there you go. Oh, uh, yes. Again, you know, we got to mention it. This group of the, this incarnation of the Horsemen only lasted for four months. <laughs> the best one. Well, you know, I'm always partial to the first version. Holy, yeah, but this is the one that's in the uh, World Wrestling Entertainment Hall of Fame. Well, well you know why that is. <laughs> you mean because only Ed Legend has it called Linda the C word? Yes. <laughs> he was ahead of the curve on that. Thanks. But anyway.
All right, let's go international now, and we'll go to the land of the rising sun and all Japan pro wrestling. It appears that Giant Bob is ready to give up on making Hiroshi Wajima a big name. Wajima, a former sumo wrestling grand champion, got a ton of publicity back in November 1986 when he debuted in wrestling and drew some incredible TV ratings at the start. But the novelty has worn off, and Wajima never, pan- never advanced past the beginner stage, partially because he started at the age of 39. On August 14th in Nanawa, Wajima's hometown, they had a special car where Baba was going to decide whether or not to keep Wajima around. Wajima first team with Masafuchi, going to a 10-minute draw with the Footloose, who, the exception of Tiger Mask, are the best workers all Japan has right now. And then the rematch, two teams went to a 20-minute draw. And finally, in a 30-minute time limit match, Wajima and Akira Tawe beat the Footloose in 29-46 when Wajima pinned Fuyuki. So, yes, Wajima worked a 10-minute draw, then a 20-minute draw, then worked later in a match that went almost 30 minutes. So he basically worked almost an hour that night. And Hiroshi Wajima is pretty much done in wrestling not too long after this. Now, uh, it, let me see when his last match is. If I remember right, didn't it also his turn out? La- oh, go ahead. His last match was December 16th, 1988. Didn't it eventually turn out that his gambling issues came to a head again? I think that may have, that that was part of it, but what we're seeing here is his days are numbered. In fact, I mean, his last match he teamed with Great Kabuki to beat uh, Crusher Blackwell and Phil Hickerson. Okay, then at the Budokan. In fact, that's his last two matches because it had the match the day before, which was a uh, tag league tournament match. Hmm. So, yeah, um, he was not good. I've watched a lot of Wajima lately as I'm going through 80s uh, Japanese wrestling television in order. And I've, I'm in 87 now. And, I mean, this dude, they they were put him over so hard. And, it, and, when he sh- and when he showed up, I mean, Jesus Christ, the fans were into him like a freight train. I mean, they were popping for him big. I mean, he was definitely over. And they put they devoted enough television to him, plus he already being a sumo star. So yeah, he had a lot of uh stuff on his side, but he never grasped wrestling. He just he just wasn't good. Not at all. And he was a Yokozuna, right? Yes. I mean and he, and he had charisma. I mean the guy had had everything it, I mean he didn't have a great look because he was old, but I mean, he had charisma. You know, but just, he couldn't work. Not to that level. Yeah. In fact, I mean, that's the reason why Choshu left. I mean, one of the big reasons why Choshu left is because he thought that the, the Watchma push was too much. Which is funny coming from him, because he never lost a match in all Japan. <laughs> but, I mean, he felt that the, the Watchma push was too much. And, I'm, and, I, and thinking about it now, I'm guessing that you know, he was probably thinking that they were going to ask him the job for Wajima. And he didn't want to do it. But, yeah, I mean, like I said, I, they they would devote a like a full 15-minute segment on every television show to him, to his uh, United States excursion. Yeah. Whether it was working in uh, 
AWA, some AWA stuff, where I was working in Central States, Crockett, um, stuff in Hawaii, training sessions. He was trained by Pat O'Connor and Lord James Blears. You know, they had a, they were his, his major trainers, and you saw his training session. The guy was in there with, with great talent. Yeah. He just couldn't catch, he just couldn't get it. But Baba made the decision here, and Wadjam was gone in four months. So, yeah. And it changed, like I said, it changed all Japan in many ways because, like I said, one of the main reasons Choshu left was called to Wajima. So if Wajima doesn't get this super push, Choshu may, may stick around all Japan. And then the reason why Tenru gets turned is because Choshu leaves. So they have to do a big angle to to match that. To, to you know, because right now I'm watching that tour now, in bet- basically the the tour in between, mm-hmm. where Choshu had left, and then there's a the spring tour. Holy shit! That's the tour where the foreign talent is Tiger Jeet Singh, Tor Kamada, George Weingroff, uh, Cousin Luke is Texas Red, uh, Carl Von Steiger. Oh. <laughs> it is horrible horrible yeah and this is also the same time when new japan's doing their funky television thing <laughs> where it's i'm past the i'm past the variety sto- show stage because that only lasted two weeks, two weeks. yeah <laughs> but what it is now is they're still in the thing where they're they have a studio and they throw to the matches yes so I'm in that stage. So th- th- you got short matches on New Japan, a lot of it, but they're they're getting longer, a little bit longer now, but still only two matches. And all Japan's got their trash going on. It's just like not a good time for Japanese wrestling in May 1987. Oof. But uh, yeah, old Wajima, my 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 brother would when he was uh living here for a time when I was watching, I would watch Watchman matches. He talked about Watchman in his yellow panties. <laughs> <laughs> he, he, he had a soft spot for Watchman. What can yeah. I say? It also reminds me you saying that of the thing that gorilla would say on commentary sometimes, like in the mid eighties, if someone had particularly colorful gear and especially if he was on commentary with Alfred, he would talk about how, Oh, in my day he only had like a couple you only had like black and maybe white or red trunks, uh, maybe a canary yellow. You would always say maybe a canary yellow. <laughs> yeah, that's one of the most colors. Absolutely. All right. So let's go to New Japan where there's some big things going on. As for news, the biggest story of the week was that New Japan for Wrestling had a live primetime special on August the 8th, take from Yokohama Arena for, for, for uh, 6,070 fans. The main event saw Tetsumi Fujinami retain the uh, IWGP version of the world title, going to a 60-minute draw with Antonio Inoki in a match which had a ton of interest, mainly because of the behind-the-scenes politics. Inoki had already announced that if Fujinami could beat him, he'd retire from wrestling. Fujinami had not renewed his contract with New Japan and has already walked out twice. He's very much forcing the issue that he become the major star of the promotion right now. While the Fujinami is probably the best worker in the promotion, most feel that Inoki has more drawn power and should remain the group's top star, but Fujinami is exercising his power and getting what he wants. Of course, Inoki is 45, Fujinami is 34, but Fujinami is tired of patiently waiting for Inoki's retirement, which may never come. The 60-minute draw allowed Fujinami to keep the title, hence in his own mind he retained the top position, while at the same time he didn't beat Inoki 
and Inoki still around. The match itself went past the TV time and only the first 25 minutes or so aired. And you know how the first 25 minutes of most 60-minute matches are. Actually, the heat was tremendous for this match, and even though it was mainly exchanging holds on the mat, every exchange got a pop from the crowd, and at no point was the match boring. Dave's guess is overall was an excellent match, and as one live report indicated, this was an excellent for the entire 60 minutes. All right, before I even get started talking about the rest of this stuff, um, Dave probably... Oh, well, uh, let me let me scroll down there, because he did actually get the 60-minute draw. I saw the Inoki Fujinami 60-minute draw, and it would have been a great way for Inoki to go out. It wasn't match of the year, although in Japan it would win match of the year, because they always pick long matches that are classics, which this one was. But it was good throughout. Lots of sleepers and figure fours and constant time-killing techniques, to be sure. But you have to give Inoki credit at his age for going 60. And the effort he put out was incredible because he was literally dying for the last 10 minutes. The scene at the end was very emotional as Ricky Choshu ran out and picked Inoki up and carried him around the ring on his shoulders, while Koshinaka did the same for Fujinami. It was almost a passing on the torch type thing, because even though Inoki gained a lot of newfound respect from his detractors, it was also evident that Fujinami is going to be pushed as the star of this promotion from this point on. Yeah, so they uh, they obviously aired the rest of the match on the next week's television show or something like that. Because, I mean, this this is the era where you only have the one-hour TV. Um, <clears throat> this match right here, I never forget watching it for the first time. And uh, the heat for this match is full-on insanity. That crowd was so fucking hot for everything they did. And, you know, you could understand why, because this was their first and only singles match. And, you know, they had been tag partners. And Fujinami was the, you know, jumbo to Anoki's Baba. And now you get a singles match between these two men. And Anoki's got this threat out there that if I lose, I retire. And that adds extra to this. And even though, I mean, even though it goes 60 minutes, uh, what Dave says is right. The way, I mean, the way everything was done after the match... Fujinami definitely seemed like he got a rub for what he did and able to take Inoki the full 60. And uh, and he became the top star of the promotion after that. Problem was, he got fucking hurt, you know, the next year. But, um, yeah, this is a fantastic match. One of the best New Japan matches I've ever seen. I think I saw it at some point, but I don't remember that much about it. Yeah, I'm getting close to, I mean, I'm in June 87. So uh, I'll be getting to it pretty soon, but we're rewatching it. But man, I mean, just a God, what a fantastic match! God, you know, and I, I a heat now has become a main thing with me in a lot of ways. If a crowd's hot, that that really you know enhances my enjoyment of the match. And holy shit, they are fucking hot, and. Uh, I mean, it, it, this has been building because we had the new versus now stuff in 87, which I'll be getting to soon. Um, that's where Inoki and Fujinami had kind of broken off and started having their, their feud together there. And yeah, this is uh, yeah, just fantastic stuff. And it is on New Japan World, as you we would think for one of the most famous matches in company history. Yeah, so um, yeah, for everybody go check that out if you got New Japan World if you've never seen it. Go watch that match. I mean, I guess it's the full 60, so... I'm pulling it up now to see exactly how... I'm assuming it's the whole match, but 
Okay, it is including pre and post match an hour ten minutes. Well, there you go. So everybody go check that out. All right, the rest of the show. So um, Bam Crusher Bam Bam Bigelow returned to Japan, goes to double count against Big Van Vader in seven forty seven. Vader seemed more of than Bigelow when the match started. However, the crowd started chanting Bigelow, Bigelow as it went on, so Bigelow got his momentum back. Vader sprayed the mist from his headpiece into Bigelow's eyes to get the early advantage. Good big man's match with Bigelow doing some good high spots and agility moves, but the brawling wasn't that great. Maybe two and three quarter stars. Actually, whenever Dave sees Vader against some, anyone besides Fujinami, he realizes just how good Fujinami was to carry the guy to good the great matches. That tells you at this point in time where Vader's at as a as a worker. But Vader was good, but he wasn't what he was about to become. No, and I should mention, by the way, um, so we're recording this a few days after the G1 show with uh, Jonah's big win over Okada, and you know, in uh, excuse me, on commentary, Chris Charlton was going over past, like, top star versus monster matches at Osaka Prefectural Gymnasium. And he made a point of using the name Crusher Bam Bam Bigelow. <laughs> and I was very happy to hear that. Well, that was his Japanese name. Yeah. So there you go. Got to put some respect on the name Crusher Bam Bam Bigelow. <laughs> yeah, I just watched his debut tour recently and good lord of mercy <laughs> oh i love the i love the larry sharp promos where he shows all the tickets he bought at ringside yeah yeah it, larry sharp was great too bad he was stealing bigelow's money all well, right so, uh, in this case well actually i guess he was doing both because in this he was also getting his own payoff to come as the manager that's exactly yes so but he was also getting his percentage and yes Thank God, most wrestling schools don't try to pull that shit anymore. That we know of. That we know of, yes. But mo that's why I said most. But uh, can you imagine, like, how many how many schools actually like successfully collected on anyone? Well, Vern had tried to get his money out of Ric Flair. We all saw how that worked. <laughs> on so, and off for many years. Yes. All right. Also, in the show, Shiro Koshinaka retained IWGP Junior Heavyweight Title, pinning Kuniyama Kobayashi with a backslide in a four-star match. And the TV opener saw Ricky Choshu and Masaito down Rageable Manny Fernandez and Mad Dog Bo Sawyer. Oof. Masaito that might be full. okay. Wait, wait, wait. That might be the ultimate, at least as a two-on-two tag ultimate match. I don't want to walk into in a dark alley. <laughs> when Saito pinned the Bull in fifteen twenty-four, the Saito Suplex. Yeah, that's tough. The remainder card saw Yoshiaki Fujiwara make Super Strong Machine submit to the Judo Armbar hold. The Fujiwara Armbar. Or the, also the Waki Katane. Kengo Kamura and George Takano beat the Southern Boys, Tracy Smothers and Steve Armstrong, when Kengo pinned Smothers. Hiro Saito and Kensuke Sasaki beat Keiichi Yamana and Akira Nagami. And Osama Matsuda pinned Minoru Suzuki in your young boy opener. What a fucking card. <laughs> I mean, the, what a group of talent on this show. Yeah, okay. Let's, and, there, yeah. and there's not as many matches because of the six-minute draw. Right. I'm just going to read this from bottom to top. So we've got the future All Samurai versus Minoru Suzuki in your young boy opener. Hiro Saito and Kensuke Sasaki over the future Jushin Liger and Akira Nagami. Uh... 
Kango Kimura and George Takano over the Wild Eyed Southern Boys. Yoshiaki Fujiwara over Super Strong Machine. Choshu and Masa Saido over Raging Bull and Buzz Sawyer. Uh, Shiro Koshinaka over Kuniaki Kobayashi. And Karsher Bam Bam Bigelow uh, Vader with the DQ. And the Anoki Fujinami draw. <laughs> Good lord, what a group of talent. God almighty. You know what? I never uh, read the. Uh, I never put any all Japan results in here earlier, so um, I'm curious. Uh, was there some during our week? You know, Dave mentioned the Wanjima thing in his hometown, but I don't have results for that anywhere. I'm going to case. So it was right a special card. It was a special. Well, I'm on there. I'm on a. Spe- it had a. It was said special card, so they may not have had results. Well, I'm looking to see what we have in August. Period. Uh, August cage match has 20th. nothing till August twentieth. Yeah, yeah. That's when the next tour started. So, so yeah, it's some one-off show between Summer Action Series and Summer Action Series two. Yeah, so it was. Uh, they were off tour, so that's why I didn't. I didn't have anything. I'm checking wrestling data to see if they have. Uh, nope, they don't have anything either. So there you go. That's why they have results. It's so rare that. Any kind of like major promotion Japanese stuff is missing though, so that's interesting. Yeah. Alright, so I read about the Fujin oh I read about the Fujinami thing with Dave from this. Alright, so let's go to the UWF and they had an interesting week. It's hardly news to anyone that the Universal Wrestling Federation's third card on August thirteenth at the Era Coliseum in Tokyo was a major success. That was guaranteed nearly two months back when all twelve thousand tickets were sold in six hours. And thousands of others were turned away the first day of ticket sales. The popularity of this show was such that it was closed-circuited into three other locations. And the gate reported the day was $800,000. A figure topped only by Vincent Mann's closed-circuit pay-per-view shows and Crockett's biggest pay-per-view events. Holy shit. So that's 800000 including the closed-circuit, I guess. Yeah. Good lord. No TV, brother. <clears throat> yeah. Well, we'll have more on the gate in a minute. A more of official number. All right. Officially, uh, Akira Maeda made karate champion Gerard Gordeaux submit in 70 seconds of the fourth, well, a minute 10 in the fourth round, excuse me, to a reverse knee lock. The match went over great because Maeda sold quite a bit to get this get his foe over and was nearly knocked out in each of the first three rounds. Legitimately, Dave told was told Maeda took one heck of a beating during the match. Also, Kazuo Yamazaki pinned Nobuhiko Takata. Norman Smiley of Florida made Yoji Anjo submit in 1846, and Shigeo Miyato made Tetsuo Nakano submit in 1904. Hmm. Now, the next UWS show in late September with Maeda versus Kazuo Yamazaki on top. Chris Dolman, the world champion in Samba, or as Dave has it, Samba. <laughs> He's doing the Samba. Samba wrestling, a legitimate Russian form of wrestling in which submission holds are illegal, will be facing Maeda before the end of the year on the UWS show. Hmm. Now, let's read this real quick. Japanese Wrestling Journal reported UWS card gate was at $500,000, which is probably more realistic than the $800,000 we reported here. But in a sense, it would be doubly, impre- doubly impressive since it was an outdoor stadium and it rained all day. However, the show had been sold out weeks earlier, so it didn't matter. The Takata Yamazaki matches reported as being excellent, while wrestlers who were there said that Maeda could have finished Gordo at any time in a shoot. But they sure the karate folks who watched said the opposite. 
Maeda's face looked like he finished a boxing match when it was through. So some stiff blows were thrown, even though it was entirely worked. As are some of the karate matches on the undercard. Yeah, there's that too. You, they, the results here just list basically the UWF matches, not the karate matches that they kickboxing stuff they had too. Yeah. Um, that said, if any of these outside martial arts types are going to take liberties in one of these matches, Gerard Gordeau being one of them is the least surprising thing ever. Uh, yes. All right, and, uh, and yeah, here, here's the, the other matches. Uh, we have a shoot boxing match. Katsumi Omura against Rie Sogi. A kickboxing match. Makoto Oe uh, against Hidekazu Mikake. And then Cesar Takeshi against Parihat Primachai in another uh, kickboxing match. This is Where are you getting this wrestling data? Because it's not on Cage Match. This is me from watching the DVD. Oh, okay. <laughs> and they had the names in English? Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, Takati Yamazaki was fantastic, as expected. Maeda Gordo was what it was, so... Different style fight, though, Bill does. Yes. Yeah, UWF, man, I mean... Maeda, when he left, and know how he left, he got smoking hot again. And the fans wanted to see him. Because you break Ricky Cho- Choshi's orbital bone, I mean, legit, on a shoot kick, and you get fired for it and everything, yeah, the fans gonna have some interest in you. Mm-hmm. Was fired for being too real, brother. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's funny because Maeda, the way Choshu got pissed off about Wajima, Maeda was pissed off because Choshu came back in and basically got his push. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> oh, so for what it's worth, Wrestling Data actually does have the full results. Okay. I, I, right, I do gotta... think it's funny though that of all the two pe- the two people that would uh, be facing off here too that it's. Cheap shot artist versus cheap shot artist. Yeah. All right. Well, let's go to uh, Canada now as we go international. Grand Prix. We've got the uh, Maritimes here. August 11th at the Forum in Halifax, Nova Scotia, in front of 599. We have Jonathan Holiday over Super B number two. B.E. Yep. Paul Payet over the UFO. Russian Bigfoot over Wayne Gillis. Great Malumba and Vinny Valentino beat Bulldog Bob Brown and Tokyo Chono in a Texas Tornado match. Yes, Masahiro Chono. That's Tokyo Chono here. And then for the international way title, Rip Rogers retained over Leo Burt by disqualification. And uh, just a couple other identities here. Uh, obviously, UFO is Bob Delacera. And do you know who Wayne Gillis is? Mm, no. That would be Buddy Wayne, father of Nick Wayne. Oh, how about that? Yes. Well, who's Russian Bigfoot? I don't know. I'm going to guess Pittsburgh Bigfoot. It's possible. Maybe. I don't know. Yeah. And uh, Jonathan Holiday, of course. <laughs> I mentioned, you know, we've talked about his uh, not being particularly well liked by the other wrestlers before. And I think I've told this story before. Oh, I think this was one actually that I think came from Buddy posting it somewhere, if I remember right. Jonathan Holiday at the end of uh, 89 when Stampede is closing made a point like as soon as he heard of going and telling Emile Dupre and 
Emile Dupree suddenly started offering to pay a lot less to everyone who couldn't work in the U.S. legally. Uh-huh. Because that's the thing. There's so much migration. Besides that Grand Prix paid better during the summer season, there's so much migration between the two, you know, especially once Stampede closes or is about to close as well. Because if you can't, if you don't have a U.S. work visa, you have to, you can only work in Canada. And what are, what other territories are left? Yeah. So, yeah. Jonathan Holiday, uh, I believe, got uh, beaten up by perhaps a British wrestler who may or may not have been a former WWF Tag Team Champion as a result of that, if I remember right. Yeah, he had his issues with people in wrestling, so to speak, so... Yeah. All right, Stampede. Brian Pillman finished up on August 13th and is headed to Continental. No, he's not. <laughs> I don't know what was, you know, the thing in the Observer, you know, either this, Brian Pillman going to Continental in 88 or Tom Pritchard going to the NWA in 89. I don't know which one was the most rumored, but they're up there together. But he was actually supposed to go, which is then he loses his start date and, and then Eddie and Paul leave. Still, so so it's high, so talked about and rumored. But I'm pretty that, sure this is one that was actually supposed to happen because obviously Dave is talking to Pillman and Kim Wood. Impossible. All right, Muck and Singh, maybe the next one to go. Singh has already done three TV commercials there in Calgary and I signed a one-year deal with a furniture store in Edmonton. Supposedly Singh is really funny in these commercials, kind of doing a character similar to Jacko in the Energizer Battery commercials. Singh holds North America title here. We'll feud with Jason the Terrible, who just returned, but will be leaving shortly for Japan. After Jason leaves, they will be turning Steve DeSalvo. But for some reason, Dave can't see DeSalvo as a babyface. He does such a great job of being arrogant and condescending as a heel, and the last time they turned him babyface, the few of Bad News Island, he was still arrogant and condescending and was turned back quickly. Yeah, I watched that not that long ago. And uh, him as a babyface, I mean... The fans cheered him, but he was still the same guy. They just switched him back after uh, turning on Jason the Terrible and starting a few with them too. But Muckin, I mean, he doesn't leave though until uh, the next year. So no, and but he's fantastic. I mean, he's on the he's on a fantastic run in Stampede in eighty eight, eighty seven, eighty eight. Isn't this around when he starts to do color commentary too? Um, I haven't got to that far yet. In my Stampede watching. It's okay. still uh, it's still Ed and Jim. So, all right, August twelfth at the Victoria Pavilion in Calgary, Biff Wellington and Coconut Willie over Goldie Rogers and Cowboy Lang. Fucking sing, Gary Albright over Steve Blackman. Yes, that's Steve Blackman. I think he's still just Gary Albright at this point. Uh, no, he's not. He's always fucking sing. No, no, okay. he definitely started as Gary Albright. I've seen. Oh, him. I just watched it, Bix. He's Buckin's I... brother from the beginning. Uh, from the beginning, yes, before he even wrestled. I'm fairly sure I've seen... St well, Bix, I just watched the fucking I know shit. I've seen Stampede TV where he's called Gary Albright, though. Well, he's fucking seeing... Because he starts... He, he Muckin brings him in and says he's a, his, his brother. And um, he hangs around with Karachi Vice. And uh, he doesn't wrestle for a while. And then he eventually starts wrestling. Okay. As fucking sing. Well, it's Vulcan, not Vulcan. Vulcan, yeah. Even if Vulcan sounds more like a Bruce Hart device name. Yeah, so, um, I mean, it, 
maybe he does wrestle as Gary Albright later. I don't know. But, but as much as I've seen him, he's fucking Singh. Well, so remember, too, it is canon that Muck and Singh is Mike Shaw. He was in the territory as Mike Shaw and became Muck and Singh. Yeah. So. Yeah, and he's his brother. So. Anyway. But anyway, yes. All right, so um, Steve DeSalvo over Gilles DeFasse. Then you have Lance Idol over Yang Chung. Everybody Yang Chung tonight. Shinji Sasazaki. Spinois over the Cuban Assassin. Iron Hills of Edo by disqualification. And then our man met Bad Company, Bruce Hart and Brian Pillman with Jason the Terrible. Went to a no contest with Gama Singh, Muck and Singh, and Johnny Smith. And Edmonton the next night for a 320. We have uh, Albright, fucking Singh, going to a draw with Steve Blackman. 15 minutes. Over 15 minute draw, actually. One star. Chris Walmer, Goldie Rogers, two and three quarters. Lance Idol, who worked in Oregon most recently, is Steve Austin. Real name is Steve Winters, Northern California. Good worker. Beat kills the Fosse in a uh, Star Trek quarter match. Isn't it? Wasn't his real name Steve Schubert? Uh, Dave says Steve Winters. So I, I think the, the obit Dave does for him is as Steve Schubert or something like that. I don't that. know. DeSalvo or Willington uh, in the main event of the return of Jason, team with back up over Gamba, Muckin, and Johnny Smith. When Jason Ping got him up to Tombstone Pile Driver, three stars. As you can tell by the crowd, but also the fact that all Jason's gimmicks said used to get great response, didn't. Jason isn't nearly as over like he was this past winter, when he was the primary reason this group was selling out. And the star and ratings. Trent Walters. Yeah, I was just going to say, as always, from Trent Walters. And um, I think the deal with Jason was I mean, it's kind of been worn out. The yeah. novelty of him as a babyface has been worn off for a while. I mean, he's, he's been doing it for over a year now. Same thing. Especially once he finished the Zodiac feud. Well, no, he's hot well after that. Oh, okay. I mean, yeah, I, my mean, time I mean, this, yeah, the, Salvo, the, the Salvo turn on him and everything. All that takes place after the, after the fact. Him, him and Owen as the tag team, you know, feuding with Muckin and the Salvo. I mean, the crowd's still red hot for him. And what I'm watching in March, hmm. going to April. So uh, it's just, I think it's when he leaves and goes to Japan and comes back. It's like, okay, we're back to this again. So I don't know. All right, Muck is seeing more Wayne Gretzky Edmonton Oilers jersey into the ring for his August 13th match. Dave supposes most of you realize that in Edmonton, the Gretzky trade is still the biggest news story in modern history. Yes, because that happened on August 9th when he got traded to the Los Angeles Kings. And boy, that was a humongous deal in Canada. Oh, my God. People thought that he had turned his back on Canada. <laughs> I posted a clip uh, the other day you know, where he talked to Fred Rogan, who was the lead uh, sports anchor in Los Angeles for their NBC affiliate, KNBC. And he's like, I'm still a citizen. I didn't renounce my citizenship. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So that's a, that is a heel heat move by Muck and Singh. Absolutely. The promotion pretty much hints that Owen Hart is still in Japan, defend the world title, since officially Owen isn't with Titan. The Blue Angel is. You know, Owen Hart has wrestled in several cities without the mask and has used his real name. And he also used Owen James as well. Owen James, I think, was just for his tryouts and stuff. Yeah, he had used it, but yeah, he had used Owen Hart sometimes as well. In this run, he did, yeah. I wonder if Blue Blazer ever wore Calgary. 
Let me see. Because I don't think they, I don't think they would have done that. I mean, I could be wrong. I'm searching to Calgary. We have no results for the first show after he debuts, which is October. Uh, oh wait, I was looking at '89. Sorry, um, I should have pulled up '88. But nothing on here. Nothing that we actually have in '80. Okay, so August 26th. Uh, Kurt Hennig over DJ Peterson, Bravo over Patera, Bossman over Sam Houston, Demolition over Bulldogs, Terry Taylor over Ben Bassarab. That's an interesting match. Warrior over Honky Tonk Man by DQ and Andre over Duggan. Um, nothing from what's advertised in December. So at least it's it, nothing that we have results for, but it's possible. Yeah. Because we don't have full results. Alright, this is a wild story. A new tag team is headed in, built as Russians Boros. That's B O R dash U S. I think that's just him making his Boros Zukov joke in a weird place that doesn't make sense. And Taurus, T A U R U S, Bolba, B O L B A, the Dogs of War. They ha they have wrestled as former WFTV jobber Johnny Canine. And the other wrestled here two years back as Vladimir Krupov. And I don't think they come in. No, but why would Dave have those names like that if that's something that maybe not's going to happen? Because he talks to Bruce. So, uh, so Bruce probably told him this. That, that's what the plan. I would think so. Yeah. For and... us, Taurus Bolba. Okay, let me ask you this. Is there any indication of when or where? Because it's always out there on, like, alternate gimmick names and stuff for him. Is there any indication that Johnny K9, Bruiser Bedlam, etc. ever actually used the name Taurus Volba anywhere? Like he probably did. Okay. He probably did. Even, you know, even though Juan Reynosa is the only Taurus Volba that counts. Yes. So I don't know. All right, Mexico, EMLL, Rio Mexico, August 12th, Emilio Chavez Jr. beat Elantis to retain his NWA heavyweight title. And then August uh, 16th at Arena Sale, we have Sputnik and Tattoo over La Aranita and Leon Sabaje. Baby Casas, Heavy Metal, Birdman and Pantera 2 over Baby Richard, Buffalo Sabaje and Panico. Excuse me, Baby Casas, Flino, sorry. Uh, Bestia Savaje, Lobo Rubio, and Zorro de Oro over Pegaso, Rocambole, and Javier Yanes. Moguer, MS Uno, and Solar, number two, over Grand Marcus Jr., Hakimate, and Negro Navarro. And Satanico retained the Mexican National Middleweight title over Solar, number one. Hmm. So a couple good looking title matches there on the uh, EMLL shows. Yeah, um, I just checked Cage Match. According to this, Johnny Canine had a very short stampede run in October 86 as Orhan Turgedian. Turgedan, excuse me. I don't know about that. Um, I forgot to mention that Sputnik, by the way, was uh, Expertrito. Oh, okay. So, so we have minis. So this must be very early in Pena getting power, right? Because he was the one that started the new crop of minis, wasn't he? I'm sure he's probably doing some booking, yes. And did any so, of these other minis use other names? Uh, Tattoo and Aranita and uh, Leon Savaje was Leon Savaje. 
Okay. So there's that. So are we uh, to think uh, these were geeks were guys that were involved with the original group that became the micros later, like uh, Arturito oh, and I, Goliath I and know. Okay. I don't know. All right, Auditorio Municipal Torreon on August 14th. Diamante Negro and Pequeño Cometa against Mr. Guerrero and Tarak. Funibre and Tarantula against Mr. Atlantic and Mr. Atlantic Jr. Junior King 1 and Junior King 2 over Terro Negro and Torbellino. Dr. Wagner Jr., Espanto Jr., the original Pentagon, and Ray Richard over Caballero Hakon. One of the Huracan Ramirez Juniors and Valente Fernandez. And in our main event for the UWA lightweight title, Yo De Santo retained over Black Shadow Jr. And, and uh, Santo, uh, they had challenged for Mask later. So Black Shadow Jr. has to be one of the best wrestlers that we barely have any videotape of. Yeah. And because we have their, it was part of a Relivo Suicidas, if I remember right. But we have their mask match, and it's incredible. And he looks great. He's a very, like, I would say similar style to Rayman. Yeah. You know, really good from what we have, but which is not a lot, though. Um, what's the other thing I was going to say here? There was something else I noticed here, and now I don't remember. What, oh, I was just going to mention, like, I always, I, I always forget until I look it up also since, um, you know, Sponto Jr. had come up that Espanto Jr. was not part of the Espanto family. He's part of the family that Andrade is part of. Mm -hmm. The uh, was it the Moro family? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> All right, Puerto Rico, double C. The arraignment of pro wrestler Jose Gonzalez, who was charged with a first degree murder and the stabbing death of Bruiser Brody, is now scheduled for September the eighth. It's suspected that Gonzalez will be not guilty and claims self defense. Yeah, that's what he does. Yeah. You know, for for all of the corruption that we're fairly sure happened, I do also wonder how much the jury just found it, which granted it did not have to be a unanimous verdict in Puerto Rico. I do wonder how much it affected the jury that there was no motive anyone could find. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's, <clears throat> if there's he's nothing not there. Because he's not disputing he killed him. Yeah, if there's nothing there, as far as a reason why, that's clear cut, you know? And it's Puerto Rico, and how people view wrestling in Puerto Rico. Bruiser Brody and Vader had been feuding with each other a while back. They weren't feuding with each other anymore. They were actually teaming up on occasion. But people remember stuff. So, And they knew how Brody was, as far as how he was portrayed. So you could see where Brody could maybe snap on this man. Well, they used that at trial, if I remember right, didn't they? Exactly. So that, that's how that, that's how you could play it with with people. So yeah, yeah, and it's it really is something that we are now at thirty four years later, and we honestly don't have a remotely decent idea of why he did it. It probably never will. Probably never will. All right, the, they believe the tactile change which Kendo Nagasaki, Mister Pogo beat the Renegade Warriors. For the WC Bells, actually, it was an office change as the Youngbloods also left Puerto Rico after the death of Brody. The only wrestlers that are left on the island, U.S. wrestlers, that is, is Bobby Jaggers, Dan Crawford, you know, you know, Cal is U.S., but still, Ron Starr and the Batten Twins. Dave believes maybe Tony Falk as well. 
The rest all left. The rest of the grapevine indicates that there are no hard feelings towards those guys that were there and stayed, being that everyone understands you have to make money to feed your family. However, in the case of the Battens, who left a U.S. promotion to go to Puerto Rico, they may have to stay there until all this blow- blows over because there may be some hard feelings because of them going there. By the way, several have written noting today that Puerto Rico is not a foreign country, but a territory of the United States. While that is certainly legally the case, this is a wrestling newsletter, and in the wrestling world, Puerto Rico is a lot more of a foreign country than Canada or Japan. <laughs> well, we do put it in international. I guess that's why. I think he means... Culturally? Like, No, I think he means like inter- inter- information-wise. Hmm. Yeah. He's getting, he gets information from Canada to Japan a whole lot easier than Puerto Rico. Yeah. I think that's what he's actually meaning here. That makes sense. Because he says it in this newsletter in the wrestling world. You know? Yeah. From what Dave's been told, the while the crowds here are down, they're not as down as much as some had feared. Well, we got a show from San Juan at on Bethorn Stadium August 13th. No results for a lineup. Bobby Jackson, Dan Crawford. Uh, up against Urga Castillo Jr. and Miguel Perez Jr. Mr. Pogo against Ricky Santana. The Battens against Don Kent and Chiqui Star. Carlos Colon against Ron Starr in the cage. Uh, Universal Heavyweight title Hercules Ayala defending against TNT in a no-DQ lumberjack match. And it's noted here that Don Kent, Bulldog Don Kent, is now booking here. Because Jose so. had been booking. Yes. Invader. And obviously, you can't really do that right now. No. Any thoughts, Bix? Um, so when did the Battens leave? Leave the mainland they're, and show up there. here? No, they stay. They're there, I mean, they're there in 89. No, no, no. When they did they show up originally? I mean, uh, after Brody's death. Okay, that was my That's question. That's the controversy. That's the controversy. I just meant when exactly and which territory did they leave? Kansas City? They left Black- Blackwell. Okay. Because they were working for him in Georgia. Was that full-time work? I mean, not, I wouldn't say full-time. You're not working a territory. But they're doing you know, television shots and working house shows. Working spot shows, excuse me. I wouldn't say house shows. But that's where that, that was their regular place of work before they go to Puerto Rico. And I'm just looking at Cage Match does not have any non-double-double-C stuff for them from 88. And even the double-double-C stuff is only title changes. Yeah, because, you know, Blackwell stuff's hard to get, so. Yeah. All right. That's it for the first half of the show. It's halftime. So that's some great 1988 commercials. We'll pivot to the halftime segment where we'll talk about Patreon. We'll hit the plugs. And then we'll come back and we'll go to America, to the Indies territory scene at this time, and talk about some interesting shows in the Northeast. We got some stuff about Jerry Blackwell's promotion. We'll talk about that. Dave Meltzer's thoughts on continental television. Some clips from there. And Brickhouse Brown falling out with a stud stable on Memphis Television. All that more after the break. The Baron will be right back. Why is Alphabet's fun to eat? Oh, it's a robot. There's a robot in my Alphabet's. How does it taste? <laughs> Post Alphabet cereal, part of this nutritious breakfast. You can eat the fun. We got Alphabet stickers. A, C. A is for artist. That's me. Fun letters to stick on your stuff. You can. 
boxes at the Spencer are free with most off of its cereal, and each box marked specially. Look at me. You think it's easy. Nothing is easy. Learning to read, solving math problems, or just staying in school. It's not easy. Being the best at what you are takes hard work. I know. Now you want me to tell you what's easy? Quitting. Quitting is always easy. Any fool can quit. Don't be a fool. Stay in school. And catch TNT Saturday at 7 on Channel 11. Cheetos Brand presents Just a Cheeto. I'm a cool daddy-o, rocking on the patio. When before my very eyes, I see cheese materialize. And my funky jive takes a dive for the cheese that goes... It's not easy being cheating. <laughs> Cheetos, the cheese that goes crunch. Did you hear? Bob got dressed in dazzle. Dress in dazzle? Dressing up and dressing dazzle. Fancy fashions, it's the one. Dressing up and dressing dazzle. Dazzling looks for dress up fun. Real makeup. Try this first. Ooh, it sparkles. The dress and dazzle bow says you're a real dress and dazzle girl. Beautiful. Dressing up Dress and Dazzle sets sold separately in toy departments. Dazzling! New Smurf Magic Berries. That fruity cereal with marshmallow stars will be marshmallowy mine! Mama Smurf! Gargamel took our cereal! Take it, Smurfy. It's a cinch with my marshmallow stars. He'll feel the pinch. Ouch! I think Smurf! He was an American original at a time when America was young. With the courage to face the unknown, shelter his family, coax food from the earth, and make a life of love and laughter. A man with the strength to tame a rugged land and the tenderness to wipe away his daughter's tears. Come home to Michael Landon as Charles Ingalls. Come home to Little House on the Prairie. Monday through Saturday at 5 on Channel 11. Lee! Missy! Press on nails for team! Smaller size is what you mean! Miss Lee, press on nails! Color! Wow! Incense! Oh yeah! Just peachy! Key! Bubble gum! Awesome! Fresh grape! Me! Now it's Miss Lee Press-On Nails, made for smaller hands. Easy to put on as regular Lee Press-On Nails and with four extra nails. 24 in all for a more perfectly beautiful fit. Fun at your fingertips. Miss Lee Press-On Nails. Press-On! It's sad when you lose someone for no good reason. It's a lot harder when it's someone you know or someone you're close to. And it's worst of all when you lose someone you love unnecessarily. Many people think that AIDS doesn't affect the black community. It does. And what you don't know can hurt you and those you care for. You don't have to be white or gay to get AIDS. Call this number to get the facts on AIDS and how you can prevent it. It's Kool-Aid Coolers, the box that... Rocky Wilds Kool-Aid Style! Kool-Aid Coolers, the box that's rocky! Kool-Aid Coolers, the box that's... Why is alphabets fun to eat? R is for robot. There's a robot in my alphabets. How does it taste? 
Alphabet cereal, part of this nutritious breakfast. You can eat the fun. Sega. Hot hits today. Hot hits on the way. Plug in to today's hottest arcade hits, like Afterburner. And Alien Syndrome. With even more red-hot arcade hits on the way, like Shinobi. Thunderblade. And two-player Double Dragon. The fun keeps coming at you. Only from Sega. Hot hits today. Hot hits on the way. And now, it's back to the Baron. All right, we're back. Hope you enjoy those great 1988 commercials as we pivot to the hat time segment of the show. Where we get to my Patreon. Patreon.com slash between the sheets. And, uh, yeah, we will be having a show coming out at the end of the month. We haven't started recording yet. Looking at uh, 2000 WCW and negotiations with Mandalay Entertainment, SFX, all that stuff there that was pre-fusion. Well, you forget the big one, too. The original WWE negotiations. Well, WWF negotiations. Well, there's that, too. So all the stuff that's done in the year 2000, uh, we'll be talking about on uh, this month's Patreon show. And September. And, uh, yeah, that's right. It's a two-part show. That's right. So uh, we're go- you already know that in advance, folks. It's going to be two parts to this one, and it's going to be a lot of information, a lot of interesting stuff, a lot of stuff from trades, I'm sure, a lot mm-hmm. of stuff from all your favorite newsletters, this and the other. And it's, if you love the um, show we did last year from about 2001 Infusion, I'm pretty sure this will be right along those same veins. So, um, yeah. yeah, so it should be should be a, uh, a welcome uh, departure from the last four months we talked about with all those heavy topics we talked about on Titan Gate. So we get into a little, something a little different here. Yes. So, yes. Go ahead. I was going to say, yes, Steve Heyer's name comes up. For who have people that may want to hear about him, yes. All right, so uh, five dollars yeah, a month. Listen to pay. part two of the previous thing to uh, hear more about that. But yes, five dollars a month. Five dollars a month. Patreon.com/slash Between the Sheets gets you access to that and all the other audio that we've done in our near six full years of the Patreon. Whole lot of audio for a whole, not a lot of money. So uh, go do that and. Uh, you should be very happy if you haven't done that already. And if you've done it already, do it again. Dollar Month gives you access to uh, Discord. Thanks in this segment. 25 allows you to pick a show for the week. Now, I have two shows in mind just in case if you want to pick a show. Because uh, the show that you might want us to do may be something that we may have already done in some form or fashion. Or maybe a week that somebody has picked on the calendar. And we have shows in the hole. So, um... We do have a little list of stuff. If you have any questions, ask one of us. We'll let you know if the if the week is taken and whatever. Well, file and, uh, follow the formal process, prefer- preferably that's there as far as emailing me. That's, well, I that's, have people. I have people that come to me directly. So no, I mean you could do that too. But also, the main thing I would say is if because you your track record emails haven't been so great. No, well, I'll say this though. <laughs> no, I know, but and that's the, what I hear when I well, get the here's message. where here's where I'm going with that though. Don't eat, don't reach out on the Patreon messaging thing, though, to the Patreon account, because we don't always get notifications or emails or anything for that. So, like, if you want to reach out directly on Twitter or whatever, that's fine. But that's the one place where you're almost surely not going to get a swift reply. 
in general. If you have any questions, just reach out directly. Don't reach out to the Patreon account. Anyway, just get with us, and we'll try to get it figured out for you and uh, try to make it easier for you to get your choice uh, done and everything get taken care of. Um, but, yes. But but the Patreon you know website does have everything that we uh, we adhere to as far as protocols, 30-day rules in effect, 10-year rules in effect, Wednesday to Tuesday. So, uh, yeah. It's preferred that you follow everything on there, the way to get your show taken care of, email, and the such. So, uh, you do all that, and we will uh, try to get your show taken care of. $50 a month lets you send for a segment of the show, like Greg Sirota is doing this week on the show, which will be on later on. And 100 unless you send for the whole show. All that's if you choose. You don't have to, but if you choose to. At patreon.com slash between the sheets. All right, Biggs, who do you think this week is our new and or returning patrons? All right, we'd like to thank, well, starting with one where I can't remember if we finished with him last week, Nick P. Thanks, Nick P. Brian Jones. Thanks, Brian Jones. Returning champion, Big J. Sampson. Thank you, Big J. Sampson. Marvin Jackson. Thanks, Marvin. Daniel Hoey. Thanks, Daniel. Brian Peterson. Thanks, Brian. Simon Mulvaney. Thanks, Simon. And let me make sure I got this one right. Aaron R. Hemgisberg. Thanks, Aaron. We take all you new patrons, old patrons, patrons that have uh, come along the way, patrons that have been there from the beginning. We thank all of you for being a part of our Patreon at patreon.com slash between the sheets. All right, IWTV, Bix. Busy weekend. Uh, busy end of the month, busy month. A busy week, but especially busy weekend. This might be the busiest they've ever had. Multiple tournaments, all sorts of major shows, live streaming. So, But even before we get into the weekend, so Monday night, you know, same day this comes out, H2O has Like a Hoss live on IWTV at 8 p.m. Eastern including, among other things, friend of the show Colby Carino defending his H2O championship against Marcus Mathers, uh, Lucky 13 versus Brandon Kirk for the Danny Havoc Hardcore Championship, Speedball Mike Bailey against Austin Luke, Matt Tremont versus Casey Kirk, and uh, oh, I was going to say much more, but I also missed uh, Sawyer Wreck on the show in a three-way with Chando and Christian R- Ross, among other matches. So looks like a pretty solid uh, H2O show there. Of course, wrestling open on Thursday. I don't think there's usually a lineup for that until within 24 hours of it happening, if not, you know, even closer. And then we get to the weekend, or weekend-ish. We start on Thursday night with West Coast Pro Wrestling's West Coast Cup starting at 10 p.m. Eastern. Yeah, Eastern, sorry, because it's 7 Pacific. Um... Headlined by a non-tournament match with Jacob Fatu defending the West Coast Pro title against Speedball Mike Bailey. And here's your first round of the West Coast Cup tournament. So we've got Titus Alexander versus Chris Sabin, Masha Slamovich versus Alpha Zoe, Levi Shapiro versus Davey Richards, Brian Keith versus McWayne, Gravity versus Viento. I'm assuming those are both luchadors. Starboy Charlie versus D-Rogue and Jarrell Nelson versus friend of the show, Vinny Massara. So, pretty loaded tournament there, and the first time they've done, I think, like, a weekend like this in West Coast Pro, at least that I know of. 
at least since they've been on IWTV with all the live streams, and I've been following them closer. But also, this weekend, AIW, our friends there, have JLIT, their annual t- singles tournament. And that starts Friday night at 7.30 Eastern. And uh, at least the IWTV listing right now only has a few of the first round matches. Um, I have not, I don't know if they've given more on the Twitter or anything. So I'll just, I'll give some of the, among the, I'll give the outside names at least. Because it's JLIT, so there's 24 people. So I'm not going to list all of them. But the outside names include Ernest Miller. Yes, that one, the cat. Well, I got some matches. I got some matches here. I'll announce real quick. Okay. All right. Cheech and Wes Barkley is a day one match. Uh, Eric Taylor and Eric Young is a day one match. Casey Carrington and Ka- Ernest Miller. Yes. Casey Carrington and Ernest Miller is a day one match. Um, Those are the three uh, that are on IWTV. That's the <laughs> thing. Okay. That's the three that's been announced. So uh, on, uh, on the AIW Twitter. Okay. Yes. All right. So, yeah, I, di- I didn't want to just give those matches and not give the others. That's why. Okay. So, but other uh, outside names include Drago, Alec Price. That's Drago, not Dr- not Jaden Drago, Bex. Sorry, Drago. It's brain fart. Uh, Jack Evans. Dom. I don't consider him an outside name. He's still Dom, Dominic yes. Greeny. Well, yes, friend of the show, Dominic Greeny, of course. Dalton Castle, Adam Priest. Oh, I miss Dalton Castle, yes. There we go. Plus all of your AIW favorites, inc- you know, both the locals like the students as well as the likes of Peach, Colin, etc. So that's night one and West Coast Cup night two. I pres- At least what's listed right now is just no matches, so I guess the remaining tournament matches... That'll be Friday starting at 10 Eastern. So, yeah, back-to-back shows on Friday night for those. And then nothing listed for... uh, Well, there's also AIW Fresh Meat 2, which is... uh, I guess that's a student showcase for Daily Weekend. It's their version of SCI Futures, I guess. Okay. Yeah, that'll be 3 p.m. Eastern on Saturday. Um... And of course, because it's a weekend on the calendar, multiple ICW No Holds Bar shows. There's one listed at Ultraviolent Vortex. That'll be Saturday at 4 Eastern. No matches listed, but I'm assuming maybe it's a Mystery Vortex type deal. Uh, Jaylet Night 2 will be Saturday at 7.30 Eastern. And then also Saturday night at 9 Eastern, ICW No Holds Barred, which includes, let's see what we got, Hoodfoot versus Sadika, John Wayne Murdoch versus Cruel, Akira versus Eric Klein. That's one to watch. And and more as far as the uh, death matches in the chains there. Um, and then we move to Sunday where r- there will be a wrestling open showcase show of sorts. Uh, uh, two Eastern, including Marcus Mathers versus Ray Jazz and the Eliminator Cup final between Miracle Generation and the Brick City Boys. <laughs> and then we've got Beyond's biggest show of the year, historically, American Rana, this time subtitled Blackout. And that starts at 7 Eastern with matches such as Eddie Kingston versus Slade, Wheeler Yuta versus Timothy Thatcher, Lufisto versus Trisha Dora, 
uh, Willow Nightingale and Waves and Curls versus The Righteous, Masha Slamovich versus Becca, Alec Price versus Ortiz from uh, Santana and Ortiz, since I guess that's still technically their team name, uh, Swoggle versus Sydney Bacabella. Sure, why not? Uh, Rhett Titus and Hot Sauce Tracy Williams versus Ryan Clancy and Thomas Santel, and Ryan Galeone versus Rex Lawless. So, yes, a lot. All in one week, and most of it in one weekend, or weekend plus, if you include Thursday. So, a lot to look out for there. And if you are not already an IWTV subscriber, go to independentwrestling.tv and use code BTSPOD to sign up, and we will get a... Uh, Referral fee each month for as long as you stay a paid subscriber. So that's independentwrestling.tv, code BTSPOD. All right, let's go to another way to support this show, Private Internet Access. <clears throat> today's private internet, today's episode is sponsored by Private Internet Access, America's number one virtual private network. Even if you use incognito mode, your internet service provider is storing your browsing data and many times even selling it. But Private Internet Access can help. Private Internet Access encrypts and reroutes your internet traffic through one of its own servers, hiding your data from your internet service provider or network administrator. And with servers in over 75 different countries, you can get unrestricted access to geoblock content from around the world. Private Internet Access comes with easy-to-use apps and browser extensions for all devices, a rock-solid privacy policy, open-source security, advanced customization settings, and it was just ranked get this folks it was just ranked the number one fastest vpn in the world by pc mag if you sign up a private internet access right now you can take advantage of a special deal only for between the sheets listeners let's go to that shall we there's three different plans that we offer for you a monthly plan of 11.95 a month that's the basic plan you can get a yearly plan of three dollars and 33 cents a month or $39.95 per year. Or you can get the very best, the numero uno deal of all. Three years plus four free months for $1.98 a month, $79 for three years, 83% off, the best damn deal there is. It's so much more inexpensive than virtually every other VPN on the market. And if you get it right now, you can take advantage of private internet access 30-day risk-free challenge. Try it for 30 days. See if you like it. If not, just turn it for a full refund. So how do you get that, you ask? Well, you go to privateinternetaccess.com slash between the sheets and try out the best damn VPN on the planet completely risk-free. All right, next week on Between the Sheets, we will be going to back to 2001. And a show that the WF section alone is longer than this show for this week, page-wise. <laughs> but it is 2001, so WWF is going to be a big show because there's not another American promotion that's on their level. But we have a lot of stuff to talk about, though. As in the World Wrestling Federation, we got news on their uh, relationship with DirecTV and what's going to happen there. Let's just say it's not good for DirecTV people like me. We also have SummerSlam 2001 to talk about. A very interesting show, to say the least. As we're in the middle of the WCW feud, so to speak, we got Raw and SmackDown, a live SmackDown to talk about. Tough Enough. We'll talk about some Tough Enough during our week. 
We got news on uh, comings and goings, feelings on WCW talent, all kinds of stuff. A new show on Saturday nights on WF television. So we talk about that. Uh, some house show stuff. Vincent Mann and other officers' bonus money. We got all kind of stuff in WF section. So quite the section. Then we'll have Japan, where we have uh, wrestling representation on K1 show. <clears throat> August 19th, where uh, Kazuki Fujita faced Mirko Krokop, and then it worked out too well for him. <coughs> Excuse me. Plus, Brian Johnston had a uh, tragedy take place to him on that show, so we'll talk about that. Dos Carlos Jr. fighting in deep against Kengo Watanabe. We'll talk about that. Plus, we'll have all the other uh, Japanese indie stuff, some major attendances there in our way for some shows, so we'll talk about that. All the Joshi bits could want and everything else. Lucha, we got uh, all the good stuff going on. 2001 is a great year for Lucha. So we'll have news on everything going on there, including quite the interesting night in Tijuana involving a finish of a match. Savio Vega retiring. We'll talk about that. We got some main event championship wrestling to talk about, among all the other indie news, including an interesting story involving the Maximos. We got Howard Brody quitting as NBA president, the future of Brian Pillman Memorial Show, a divorce in Memphis wrestling. We'll talk about that. And WoW Magazine in serious trouble. And all that more next week on Between the Sheets. Possibly a guest. We don't know for sure. All right. <clears throat> so that should be a, a really, really good show. All right, you can follow me on Twitter at Chris Zellner. K-R-I-S-Z-E-L-O-N-E-R. Show proper at BT Sheets Pod. Bix at David Bix. And, uh, Bix, I know you had your Sting article go up on Fan Fight that you talked about, but uh, anything else going on in your world this week? Yeah, besides, I think also the Vince thing I mentioned last week about why uh, nothing really stuck to him until the new stuff. That that already went up, and then also, uh, oh yeah, that was over a week ago. What am I talking about? But yes, the Sting thing. Is Sting actually the dumbest babyface of all time? That went up, and uh, like I think I alluded to last week, the answers may surprise you. Did you get to read that one yet? Yeah, I saw it. It's good. Okay, I'm curious what you actually think of the topic, though. Um, I think he's known for that, but he's not. I don't think he's the dumbest baby. I think Dusty could be considered dumber than him. Well, that's the thing. It's like, yes, there are... I think a, more people turned on Dusty than staying. But it's a large number of... Relatively large number of turns in a sh relatively short amount of time. But... The way the angles were plotted out, there's really only one where he's just a total idiot, and that's the Medusa Luger thing in 91. I don't think you can make <coughs> the case for any of the others. You know, like, the Flair thing in 95. He knew it. He sees he basically it knew it. And he says, yeah. okay, you know what? You're bringing these little stingers out here to beg me to team with you. You're a father. You have your own kids. I am giving you the benefit of the doubt this one time that you wouldn't use kids like this to settle a wrestling beef and get one over on me. But if you swerve me, I will leave you for dead. Yeah. So it's like, it's, they acknowledge it. And yeah, he gets turned on. But you can't really call him an idiot. He 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 resisted Flair's weeks long charm offensive up until that point. So, you know, there's that, and then of course some of the some of the others, as people see in the article, Road Warriors 
I think people re- completely misremember the chronology of that. <clears throat> well, they turned on him because if for people who remember that, that watched that match, I mean, it wasn't anything that came. It was nothing built to that. No, it was the fact. It was the fact that he they they were thinking that he was a glory hog. Right. You know, he wasn't. He was trying to take their glory. Yeah, I think sometimes. There, yeah, I think sometimes people point to that one, thinking it came after the turn on Dusty. No, and, and the thing is, is it's the weirdest turn no. because there's no build. There's a, there was zero build to the Road Warriors turn. It just happened. Yeah, and then as you know, I discuss in detail the 1990 Horseman one. That just got well. Retconned. Well, th- well, that's another problem. Because when you watch the January 1990 television, Sting is the one that is hesitant about taking the match with Lair, and 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 the and the Horsemen always talk about well as long as the belt stays in the family. Yes, and this woman, this woman getting involved with Ric Flair that turns everything. But it's not used in the actual turn. It's the only it's not. that there might be a heel turn. Yeah, it's not. It's not. Yeah, woman's not involved till after Rick turns. Yeah. And it's, it's Rick, Rick's and Rick's the fucking booker. And they're also hyping that the Wrestle War will be Sting versus Luger if Luger beats Flair in any of the house show matches. Yes, which is a part I completely forgot until I started watching the promos. Yeah, Rick's the one that and Rick's booking this shit. Yeah, and then they just completely retconned it, and people remember it the way Oli's promo went. So you look at the, I mean, so you look at the turns. I right, said so Road Warriors was that. Then you have uh, the Horseman deal. Oh, and I mentioned uh, Eddie Gilbert too, which I don't think Sting's an idiot in that one. That's Sting's not a babyface, but he's being turned on. He's still being turned on. Yeah, but he's not a babyface. But it's what turns him. <laughs> ba- well, he's it's already what turns him babyface. So it doesn't I matter. Know, but still, you get what I'm saying. Yeah, I mean that, that's the difference. I mean, he's not even babyface yet. It's fair enough. Um, I get your point. Uh, but... So, so, so Luger, Luger comes. Then that's the next one. Is Luger, and, and that's the gift boxes. And now the thing there, and again, all this is in much more detail in the article. Well, he hadn't interacted with Luger since Luger turned. Medusa was already explicitly the rude heel manager, heel bodyguard person who brought him to WCW to beat Sting. That is Paulie's promo at Halloween Havoc three weeks earlier. So the idea that suddenly Medusa comes out of this box as a belly dancer and hypnotizes Sting with her sexiness or whatever, it's like, yes, he comes off like an idiot in that one. He absolutely is. That's but the that's only the, one. So, so that's that one. There's, there, nobody turns on him in 92. Nobody in 93. Nobody in tu- 93. You could say Sherry in 94, but I didn't think that was worth including. That doesn't count. No. And then and Flair's, uh, 90, Flair's 95. So Sting... Sting doesn't have that many turns on him. It's just people always say that. Dusty had more people turn on him. Well, and then the other thing is he doesn't get turned on, but there's also the Luger thing to talk about in 95, 96. But again, Sting's not an idiot there. No. Because Luger is so, always loyal. Yeah, so Dusty had more people turn on him in various times. and not. But Dusty wasn't, say, stupid in none of his either. It just turned on Dusty for various reasons. Yeah, Baby Doll, he couldn't see coming. Uh, well, I mean, R- Ron Bass turned on him, you know, because of you know Dusty was getting all the glory. Well, Road uh, Road Warriors, he should have seen coming though, because they had already turned heel. You no, know, they yeah, they'd already turned heel. 
uh, Ronnie Garvin. You know, that was out of the blue. That was out of the blue. Dick Murdoch. You know, that's because Dusty was teaming with that dirty Russian. I mean, Dick Murdoch teams with dirty Russians after that, but he's doing it just to spite Dusty. You could uh, say you could say teaming with the Sheik was a stupid idea. Yeah, but that's only a house show thing too. That's not even. Yeah, I mean, it's stuff that's mentioned on television, but there's not even no video of it. So, so I mean, so with Sting, th- is it is it more that like you have a few compressed into that like eighty eight to ninety one period then too, or is it just the is it is the big thing the retcon at, of the Horseman thing? Pretty much. I, I think that might be the biggest culprit. Pretty much, I think it's just fans. It's just fans wanting to do their own thing on that. Their their own mindset of it when there's really not nothing there to base it on. Yeah, but that was fun to write about. I'll probably have one or maybe the two dumbest baby okay. faces are always in Memphis <laughs> because of how many turns there are there. Well, yeah. I, I mean, you could say Lawler maybe the dumbest of all. Well, you know, when it comes in that regard. Yeah. But anyway, yeah, like I was saying, should have at least probably one more fan fight story before a uh, fan fight is uh, no more. But we'll see. All right. Well, on that note, let's get back to the rest of the show. Yep. All right, let's go back to the U.S. now. We'll start with ICW. And the Savoldi's running a show in Banger, Maine at the Brewer Auditorium on August 12th. We have Eric Sprasha defending the junior title against Chris Evans, not the actor. We had a 10-woman number one contender battle royal for the ICW ladies' title, where the winner would go on to face Heidi Lee Morgan for that title later on that night. And then our main event for the ICW tag titles, Joe Savoldi and Vic Steamboat, Defending against the Dungeon Master and Spike. What a show this is, Bix. Also, you got to use their proper name for the S&S Express in the main event there. Mm-hmm. Not to be confused with the super team of Jeff and Jeff. Well, not to be confused with S&S Cafeteria. You're, you, you, you don't have any of those up in your area, do you, Bix? No, no. Yeah, S&S Cafeteria, a popular southern staple. I mean, cafeterias are in, are even up in the Northeast. I wonder. Or, what, I mean, both, what, what definition is being used for cafeteria? All right, you go in, you grab a tray, and then usually there's people that put the food into your tray. They oh, stand, you go okay, down a, a like line. like like that place my parents used to tell me about, Automat or whatever it was called. Well, like a school cafeteria. Okay, that's basically the same thing. Okay. And you get to the register, and they ring you up, and there you go. It's like a going to school. I know uh, I spent a lot of time at cafeterias in my younger days because my old man, he enjoyed that type of stuff. So, um, oh, yeah. One of the highlights was you would go to the cafeteria and you get to uh, towards the end to the cash register and they had the uh, line of desserts where it would be like some, maybe a piece of cake or a piece of pie. Or my personal favorite, they had a, gla- a tall glass uh, of pudding. Where you have like chocolate pudding or whatever, with uh in the glass whipped cream and the cherry on top. I thought that was fancy as a kid. So ah uh, yes, cafeterias, Piccadillys, Morrison's, S and S, Davis Brothers. That was my childhood right there. 
All right, Bob Raskin. I need to lock out there's 1988. Put that way too. Bob Raskin's USWA. Yes, the original USWA. Drew 1,200 fans on August 14th in Washington, Pennsylvania, for a car uh, featuring Sergeant Slaughter, David San Martino, and Misty Blue. Actually, it was in North Strabane Township, Pennsylvania, at the Meadows Racetrack, where the only two matches that we have here is Crusher Kablansky against David San Martino and the Russian Assassin against Sergeant Slaughter. More often than not, the Russian Assassin was Don Carnival under a hood. So, Raskin Drew, man. He would he would run these shows at racetracks and fairgrounds and stuff, and he would he would draw great crowds in in this time period, mainly using slaughter on top. And USWA is what basically NWF, but without Rob Russon. In a way, yeah. But that was his that was his letters. He used USWA before anybody else did. Yep. Was it an association or an alliance? Um, I think it might have been an alliance. Okay. At least if I search for United States Wrestling Alliance on newspapers.com, I'm not seeing anything. Well, it's going to be USWA. So it would be USWA Wrestling, probably? Um, and it would be like U period, S period, W period, A period, like that. Okay. But anyway. Alright, so let's go to what we just talked about a while ago, Crusher Blackwell. Jerry Blackwell's uh, Southern Championship Wrestling from Georgia. Johnny and Davey Richard expected ahead here, while the Mod Squad's coming in to replace the departed Batten Twins as the lead heel tag team. There you go, Bix. Hmm. Well, there you go. Moondog Spots also headed to Blackwell's group after the folding of Ron Fuller's USA promotion, effective August 20th. Sad to say, USA was folding, but Ron got out, got out of it. And probably at the right time. Yes, he put his money in local hockey, which turned out well, and also uh, ATT uh, dealerships. Not ATT, AD, ADT, excuse me, ADT, yeah. Ron Fuller definitely knew how to do business, that's for damn sure, in every way. Yeah. One thing you say about Ron. Mr. Kareem Muhammad has left Blackwell's promotion for rival Jody Hamilton's Deep South and is the lead heel feeding with the assassin, Jody Hamilton in the main event, and will be in the tournament for the Deep South title, which was vacated when the Botswana Beast left. The promotion for Southern, Blackwell's promotion, where he now wrestles as the MEB, Mad-Eating Beast. Are you confused by what I just read, Bix? Not really. Okay. Basically, in, in, so, many, in, so, in, in, in so many terms, Muhammad and Beast traded spots. And Beast is not long for Georgia anyway and is about to go to Dallas. Yeah. Well, Georgia's not long. Well, I mean, Blackwell run, runs a little longer, but... It's not the same. No. Uh, um, so, and Kareem Muhammad eventually goes to the NWA as one of the commandos. So yeah. there's that too. Commando Ray. Well, deep, well, deep South's not long. That's what I meant to say. Deep South's not long. So Blackwell's long is, you know, six around. It's Deep South that's about to die in uh, mm-hmm. November 88. So, yeah. Florida Championship Wrestling, August 16th in Tampa. Saw Danny Spivey with Dick Slater and Tate Fist match. Mark Starr and Brett Sawyer over the Star Riders, Blaine and Rock by DQ. Lou Perez over a Cuban Assassin, the returning Dave Sierra. Frankie the Thumper Lancaster and Tyree Pride over Scotty the Body and Jimmy Backlund. And Rhett King went to a draw with Denny Brown. Downtown Denny Brown. The Terminator, Mark Laurinaitis, and I love the way Laurinaitis is spelled. Laurinidius. He's now in the area. 
it was funny that John Laurinaitis was terminated by WWE considering his brother was a Terminator. Tyree Pride is billed as the world junior weight champion, having beaten Denny Brown. Wish I could have seen that. And Blackjack Mullen appeared on TV, and Spivey beat him up with juice and all in a great skit. More on this group next week. Well, whenever we do that week, we'll talk we'll talk more about it then, I guess. Mm. <laughs> this is, you know, the very early days of Florida Championship Wrestling. And uh Yeah, I mean they they got some things going on here. Yeah. They're build they're building. Building for the future. But they're pretty steady, you know, promotion at this time. So yeah. Now let's go to Continental Wrestling Federation. Dave saw the last four weeks of television. You will reach for your speed search button on the VCR less watching this group than any other group in North America, to be sure. But Dave's got a feeling is they over-angled the show. They run an angle in just about every segment. And in most cases, when they have a name-versus-name match on TV, you can count on the run-in coming within three minutes, which is too quick when you do it on a regular basis. The bit where Eddie Gilbert and Paulie Dangerously attacked Pistol Pez Watley's son was one of the best angles Dave's seen in a long time. When it comes to interviews alone, Paul E. comes off as the best heel in the business. As someone said to Dave, he's got the act of being the asshole perfected to the point he's very versatile, and you could hate him for a variety of different things rather than a one-dimensional character like most heels. Sir, I am offended that you would call it an act. <laughs> the bit where Sam Bass Lowe, a pro wrestling illustrator photographer from Memphis, where Gilbert and Dangerously attacked him the next week got too predictable, although Lowe took good bumps on the concrete. Dave thinks they've gone about as far as they can with beating them civilians at this point. <laughs> Gilbert and Ken Wayne are both great workers in their respective roles in the ring. Dane Davis comes off as good as well. Austin Isles' promos are top-notch as babyface. Actually, Paul E.'s local promos show that he picked up a lot from watching Idols at Heal in Memphis last year. Dr. Tom and Dirty White Boy are both underrated workers, but seem trapped in their feud, and the only thing interesting about the feud is Missy Hyatt's role in it. From what Dave hears, the matches between the two remain top-notch. This has been going on for months, even before Gilbert came in. Dave says, I'm not a soul with the rest of the crew. D.I. Bob Carter does great in-character interviews. A private pile has a character for a job guy, so they're being used well. But D.I. isn't much of a worker yet. And then a marvelous job with Willie B. Hurt, Pistol Pez, who made events against Gilbert on most of the shows because of the angle. Dave never thought Pez Wadley would turn into a charismatic babyface and really be over, but he has, and he is. All right, Bix. So Dave has watched uh, the recent television a month's worth, and I've got to say it. I mean, Dave is very fair here. Yes. I mean, we said this when we did the Gilbert and Heyman and Continental's Patreon shows at patreon.com slash between the sheets that... When it comes to the content, certainly, Dave gives pretty fair reviews of these shows. Um, and even when it comes to the other coverage, he's definitely, in terms of Eddie or Paul influencing Dave kind of things, the Continental run isn't really it that strongly. Steve Beverly is a different story. Oh, God. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes, yes, yes. Although Dave did not mention how terrible the production has gotten. Which which it's, Steve would mention, in fairness. Well, let me... Okay. I think I, this was my cue to look up something in Matt Watch, which I didn't put in the notes because of, um, you know, the way it was. Let me see if I have that here. Okay. 
okay, is basically part of a a a story about Ron Fuller, you know, selling out to. Um, this is what the August eighth or August fifteenth issue. The the August fifteenth issue. So it's it's not really in our week because the sale take place took place for a week. But here we go. It's but it's a matte watch that covers our week. Yes. Kind of, sort of ish, yes. But here's, so here's what uh, Steve wrote in his main sidelights deal uh, about why Ron Fuller's promotion failed and Continental's not. Why have these promotions deteriorated while David Woods and Eddie Gilbert flourish? Three reasons. One, Woods and Gilbert cleaned up the dead wood in the CWF, but did it subtly so they didn't disturb the viewer. Next, Eddie has gone with you, Shane Douglas, and U.S. Humongous, Bob Carter, Coquina, and the ubiquitous Polly Dangerously. None of whom have embarrassed this group. Post career pistol as well was revived beyond imagination, and will it be hurts perhaps the, the perhaps the hottest black star in a sport sadly lacking in minorities, in the region with a heavy black populace. Finally, the CWS TV shows tell stories and give viewers a reason to care. Gilbert has been accused of overangling the shows, and he's sensitive to that. But one CWS staffer told me, Eddie listens to his people. If somebody makes a suggestion, he'll more often than not say, you're right, let's try it. Eddie listens. Eddie listens to his people. In our communications curriculum at Auburn, we have a course strictly on listening. Research indicates that most businesses and their managers fail often because they don't listen. Maybe some wrestling bosses need to sit through this course. Then again, they probably wouldn't listen. Also, (laughs) Chris, uh... When Eddie Gilbert starts doing all of his radio and cheat interviews around 1991, what is the word he hammers home more than any other when talking about who should be on the rise, both as stars and creative forces in the business? Youth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, I mean, so, I mean, Steve is definitely, you know, partial to Eddie and Paul. The ubiquitous Polly Dangerously. Yeah, make sure you use the word ubiquitous. <laughs> One CWF staffer. How many CWF staffers are there? <laughs> Thomas Edward Gilbert Jr. and Paul Heyman are two. Yes. Melissa Melissa Gilbert. Melissa Hyatt Gilbert. Yes. Um, Seriously, who's even working Ron in the West. office? See Ronald West. <laughs> well, no, isn't it Jack Curtis at this point? Ron West is still is there. Okay, you know, you're right, you're right, you're right. Because we're about to play him in this, in this clip. But I kind of doubt Ron West is talking to Matt Watch. No. But anyway, I mean, the thing is, is that, what this, is the TV good? The TV is good. I mean, there's good stuff on there, it's fun. But the fact that it got so over-pushed, especially when the counterpart from the same neck of the woods, Fuller's USWA, USA, excuse me, had better television that people didn't talk about enough. And was drawing was, better. And was drawing better. Kind of ha- has sparked this whole revisionist thing regarding the 1988, you know, Continental USA situation. But hey, you know I mean? Continental won the end. They bought out USA. So. But well, there was, was no Fuller, war, but yeah. You know, that's Fuller getting out of it, you know, more than anything else. Yeah. Um... There's no way that quote is in Heyman, right? It's got to be. All right. Well, let's go to some clips. Let's see what the TV's looking like. All right. So we're going to 
Burhead Jones is here to uh, he he's getting involved because of the whole Pistol Pez Willie B Hurt situation Willie B Hurt's kid. So see Ronald West is involved in this. Well, I think he's named the commissioner and all this or some shit. So let's go to Charlie Platt and Joe Pettacino on a show that aired in 1993. Yes. As we've mentioned before on uh, David Woods's station in Montgomery, WCOV TV at one point in 1993, he just started airing continental reruns and kept the house show promos in there. Yes. So they're promoting house shows that had taken place five, five years, years earlier. Yes. Great privilege and pleasure to introduce to you, ladies and gentlemen, the new general manager of the general manager. I can mention a familiar face, Ronnie West. Did Ron, Charlie, I say, I'm happy to be back home, but one thing's happened in the CWL. We started out with low fines. I can't believe what happened to the official. Then it went from the official to Willie B. Hurt's son. Then it went from Willie B. Hurt's son to Sam Lowe. The man comes out here to give an award out. Then he's looking at you. He's looking at me. And I have to say, it happened to me in Columbus, Mississippi. It happened to me in Dauphin, Alabama. He got to me. The only thing I can say to Hot Stuff Eddie Gilbert and Paul E. Danger, watch out. Watch, uh, watch out because, you know, things have happened. These great fans here are backing CWF, and I tell you what, I'm not going to let people run over me and the fans of Continental Wrestling. They better watch out. Charlie, you know, things have been a little, you might say, out of hand with the Dangerous Alliance. But I have seen before what happens when Ron West takes charge. And I think maybe this would be a good time to go back and show some of those incidents and remind everybody of just how serious it's gotten. And what you're about to see is four different incidents that has caused these problems of recent in the Continental Wrestling Federation. Let's take a look at those right now. Now, Nightmare Ken Wayne is... Uh... <laughs> Wondering, what am I doing here in this situation? Snapmare takedown by the AWA World right. Heavyweight Champion. Jerry Lawler, and he begins to pound away at the head of Ken Wayne. Right now, Ken Wayne is probably wishing he had left this alone and waited for those tights and belts. There comes the famous Lawler punch. And just, Eddie Gilbert has hit the ring. What is he doing? He's got... He's oh, what? He was obviously aiming for Jerry Lawler, what? but the referee what? got in the way. I just realized we forgot another potential CWF staffer, even though it's probably Paul. Joe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Eddie Gilbert has burned an official of the CWF. Right in the middle of the ring. He's got him in position. Now, dangerously has pulled the referee out of the ring. This is not the best quality dub, but holy shit, is the lighting terrible. Oh, it's horrible, period. And that's the whole thing with this, too. You know. Austin Idol has got the Las Vegas leg lock. Wait a minute. Eddie Gilbert is in the ring. Eddie Gilbert. And they've thrown fire. They've burned Austin Idol. They've burned Austin Idol on the shoulder and on the side of the head. Austin Idol. Austin Idol should be the new AWA world champion. He had Jerry Lawler in a figure four leg lock. Paul dangerously drugged the referee out of the ring. Eddie Gilbert came in and threw fire into the face and shoulder of Austin Idol. 
Will he be her son? Okay, how dumb is he, okay? Hey, I'm talking to you, man. I'm not you. Don't make me look stupid, okay? Hold on. Don't make me look stupid. I'm serious, man. I'm trying to be funny, okay? All right, one more time. You know how stupid your dad is? Let me ask you a question. Which one of them fine-looking ladies that you better jump around in happens to be your mama, huh? <laughs> Wait a minute. This is, this is ridiculous again. Sam Lowe is coming to out of hand. Sam Lowe is a manhandled. Pro Wrestling Illustrated. He's not a wrestler. And here they go again. Last week it was a 14-year-old boy. This week it's a photographer. And look at a man that has... This man is here in the CWF. He's here to present an award to the heartthrob Austin Idol. And just because... Just because Eddie Gilbert's inside mole, Jack Curtis, got caught in irritation. That's right. That's why I was getting confused. This is when Ron West had just come up to clean up Jack Curtis's mess, but Jack Curtis had been the on-screen authority figure. So they kind yes. of worked in the whole Jack Curtis pilfering or whatever behind the scenes into the storyline. <laughs> yes. Well, they heard the warning Ready, and the word Ready, from Ron West. Oh, and I do want to mention, too, despite what Dave said about Paul learning from <coughs> Idol while they're in Memphis together, Paul is still doing, doing Piper here. Yes. And it's very obvious. Well, yes. And uh, the Alliance has come out here to join us for some reason or another. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time for everybody's favorite game show, Wheel of Legend Slayer. And today's contestant is none other than the legend of Montgomery and Birmingham himself, Burhead Jones. Burhead Jones, come on down. This is not a recap, this part. No. No, no. Also, Eddie is wearing that one shirt that he owns. Ain't no Willie B. Yes, he wore a lot. Nothing gonna happen. You the pink and blue big striped polo. That one. Well, he had two shirts. The half shirt that he was wearing in all the other clips. And sometimes he had the Ishiban t-shirt. Yes. But this is the only uh, non-t-shirt. You know, two weeks ago I came out here and a kid hit me and he had to get decked. Another week I come out here and a photographer hit me and he had to get beat up. Tonight, I want no violence. Tonight I'm here to let you play Wheel of Legend Slayer. You see, Burhead, I know you're a legend. But you see, your problem is, man, you got a big mouth. You got a big mouth to you come out here on TV and you say that Eddie Gilbert and I had no business smacking around a 14-year-old kid. Well, if you would have heard that kid squeal like his daddy squeals whenever Eddie beats him up, you know that the punk had it coming. And all Eddie was doing was tipping the little brat up. Now... You want to do it? You have a treat, because the Legend Slayer is going to confront you himself. Come I suggest you remember the warning, too. I, re I remember everything that's ever been told to me. You know, sir, it's indeed a great pleasure to once again have you thrown upon high stuff, Eddie Gilbert, another great legend of the CWF, a person who made a name in this area. A person! 
person that in Montgomery, Alabama, that means as much as the mayor there. A man in the state of Alabama means as much as the governor. I'm talking about Burhead Jones. Okay. You listen to the new legend. You listen to the new man, the new boss of wrestling. I'm stuck in the government. I've seen him come. I've seen him go. And old man, you're just another. You're nothing to me. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. They warned him, Charlie. Listen. Wait a minute. He's he's been out of wrestling. There's your legend. This is ridiculous. Charlie oh, Platt, this is exactly the type thing that Ron West said would not happen and couldn't happen anymore. And look at this. Burhead Jones this has is been retired for years. And some of the wrestlers are coming from the back. Turbo Ted comes out. He hits the Turbo Ted. Now it's uh, Lee Peak. I believe coming Lee Peak. over the top row he goes. This is now wait a minute. They're gonna pile drive Burhead Jones. This oh. man, he's retired from the ring. Oh. He hasn't wrestled in years. Oh, my gosh. How about Joe come for the pile drop for 80 and put him in, this, in position? This is a crowd. Here comes Willie B. Hurt. Willie B. Hurt chasing him off and now taking care. Oh. Also, now he's got Minerva, Biggs. Somebody get this man a mason jar. someone whose nickname is Burhead. <laughs> it just, I can't take it seriously. I mean, good Lord. Burhead! <laughs> Burhead! Burhead just took his pants off, and that would have, Eddie and Paul would have been running running for the hills if that, that happened. Well, no, you see, he had the seizure because the blood was rushing from his head. <laughs> Minerva. I mean, should we can. play the local promos with uh, Might as well. yeah, let's play Willie uh, Burhead and Idol? 
Yeah, might as well. Let's Montgomery go ahead. Civic Center, the biggest revenge match in the history of Montgomery. And again, keep in mind the version we are watching here five years later. Yes, they're, they're, they're airing the house of promos for something to have five years ago, I guess. And, and from looking at newspapers.com, it seems like pretty much these were running throughout the year in, in 93. Yeah. Willie B. Hurt goes against hot stuff Eddie Gilbert and some very special stipulations on this match. With me now, Burhead Jones, who uh, last uh, weekend at the Montgomery Civic Center felt the wrath of the Dangerous Alliance. You have offered your services to be handcuffed to Paulie Dangerously. You're right about that. I would like to get my hand on that constipated rabbit and run it around that ring like it's <laughs> constipated. I want to be handcuffed to him to help this man serve. Because the last time, will that people know? Hot stuff coming with that shovel. That's unrolling. But I tell you one thing, I just want him to make one move because I'm going to whip the constipated out of him. When I finish with him, he ain't going to be constipated no more. All right, Willie B., it's a big night for you this Sunday. Eddie Gilbert, it's me and you. And guess who's going to be outside? That's right, the man making this walk around this circle. None other than Austin Idol. It's going to be the referee, but he's going to be outside the ring. That's right. Well, it ain't going to be in there but me and you, sucker. And I'm going to tell you what, I'm going to whoop that butt all night long. Take it care of business. Let him know, Idol. Let him know. Ryan hey, West is special referee inside the Montgomery. Ring. I'm going to tell you, I'm going to pull the shirt back out one time. I'm going to referee that match and outside will be the policeman. It looks like a one-man SWAT team. There ain't no question about it. Let's say it just like it is. The city of Montgomery, Alabama is fastly making history every other Sunday night. And tomorrow night is going to be part of more history. And I'm going to be part of it. Because I'm going to be outside that ring, Gilbert. Eddie the Geek Gilbert. And anytime you come out, Jack, this is what you're going to have to face right here. Throw him out to me, Willie B. And I'll send him back in, Jack, twice as fast. Your butt belongs to both of us. <laughs> Hi, Minerva. So, all right. So, another angle from the TV. Mr. Alan Martin has been uh, walking around like big time recently as a manager of uh, Sika and Coquina, and he's on Missy's Manor, Missy Highest interview segment. And Missy is um, she's at the stage where she's, you know, still a heel, kind of, sort of ish. And this one's about to uh, pretty much change all that. So let's go to Mr. Alan Martin. As long as I got it. That's why I don't mind turning around. Look at them. They're big and huge and bad. And they'll do anything that I ask them to help me in what I say to them. So are you saying that really somebody died and, and, and you're really carrying this around? I mean, that's, that's not too smart. Yeah, Uncle Elmer died. Uncle Elmer? Yeah, God rest his soul. Hey. Uh, Uncle okay, Elmer. Well, thank you very much. I'm glad we got to clear wait, that wait, up. Wait, 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 wait. What? 
I want to do something that I've always, always wanted to do. Remember, guys. Oh, 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 so so yes the samoans held missy hyatt so alan martin could kiss her on the on the mouth (laughs) 34 years is a long time (laughs) yeah so there you go. Doesn't look doesn't look good in today's climate, but and this is what turned Missy High a baby face because she would get people to come in after Alan Martin after this. So there you go. Any other thoughts on Continental TV at this time, Bix? I, I'm just in awe of how bad the production is. I always will it really, be. It's, yeah, it, it. Well, Thomas Edward Gilbert's the producer. Well, that's more of the fault of David Woods, though. He's the executive mm. producer. Uh, yes. Yes. He's not a technical producer. Yes. Southern Boys will be returning after they finish touring Taiwan this week, and Brian Pillman is scheduled to start in mid-September as a babyface. There's talk of making Smothers, Armstrong, and Pillman, and Shane Douglas into some sort of a Fab Four. Well, that sure as hell doesn't happen. No. They will start running two shows per night in September, virtually every night except the nights they do TV tapings. And they want to expand into Knoxville and Chattanooga. Nor plus cities in Mississippi and Louisiana to the west. They just hope they proceed with caution in these expansions because expanding too fast has done in quite a few promotions. This was the stupidest idea. I know, and they try, and they started trying to do it. Well, not what they get because of Fuller. Yeah, but they start they start going to Mississippi and Louisiana, and no, no, which is Eddie wanting to bring back the UWF. He wants his own Mid-South territory, a new version of Mid-South, yes. But not with Oklahoma or, you know, stuff like that. Go further into the East. Connell drew a cell to Montgomery on for their TV tape on August 14th. They set up a few where Eddie and Paul against Burhead and Willie would be hurt. Nelson Royal, Giant Rich, and Doug Furner swallowing the tapings on the 14th of Montgomery. Drew 2,700 fans, 2,200 paid. Well, the WS show tonight four drew just 760 fans. Well, they got a victory there, I guess. The headline event was Eddie against Willie B. Hurt, and the 2700 was a sellout. Nelson Royal wrestled Danny Davis in an old-style solid wrestling holes match. Well, I mean, that's good business, considering. If we buy it, I mean, one of the people who's probably giving him the numbers would also later tell him that ECW Arena could hold like 1,400, 1,500 people. You're, well, he told Torch that, yes. <laughs> yes so yeah that's possible alright well let's go to Memphis now and boy there's some stuff going on here August 7th in Jackson Tennessee drew 2300 fans as Gary Young pinned Cat Garrett Brickhouse Brown beat Sean Baxter Emily Arthur beat Downtown Bruno by disqualification when Sylvia and Robert Fuller interfered and attacked her Billy Joe Travis over Tojo Yomoto in a negative 5 star match Fulkerson used the chain pin Scott Steiner key CWA title 3 stars and Lawler and Jeff Jarrett over Fuller and Golden by DQ, two stars. Coliseum, Mid-South Coliseum, August 8th, drew another $20,000 house for the rekindling of the Jerry Lawler Austin Idol feud. Results saw uh, Gary Young over Max Payne when Phil Hickerson gave Young a chain to use to lead to the pen, one star. Brickhouse Brown over Sean Baxter, star to half. 
Downtown Bruno and Sylvia over Candy Divine and Little Coco when Fuller interfered and popped Candy, negative one star. Travis and Scott Steiner kept the Southern Tag Titles, CWA Tag Titles, being the Rock and Roll RPMs with Tommy Lane and Mike Davis with a chain lead to the pin, two stars. Fuller and Golden were Bill Dundee and Jeff Jarrett when Bruno hit Dundee with a kendo stick for the pin. After the match, Dundee got the figure four on Fuller for three minutes and Fuller had to be carried out in stretcher, three and a half stars. More on that in a few minutes. And the AWA title match, Austin Allen beat Jerry Lawler by DQ when Lawler Powell drove ref Jerry Calhoun, which is a fine way to treat a brother-in-law and softball teammate, three and three-quarter stars. Wait, I forget. Is he Paula's brother? Yes. That's right. Something that didn't get talked about a lot. No. But yes, Paula was Jerry Calhoun's sister. Oh, I wonder if that's why uh, Jerry Calhoun disappears around when he does. Uh, yeah. Because <laughs> he gets with Stacy in 89-ish, right? Well, well, actually, no. Paula is not Calhoun's... Okay, wait a minute. Paula's main name is Caruth. It's his real... is What's Jerry Calhoun's real name? Um... Jerry Calhoun. So maybe she married. Maybe he's married to Lawler. Does Lawler have a sister? I've never heard anything about Lawler having siblings. Have you? No. But I mean, maybe there's something there. So and there's got to be yeah, something that... in Lawler's book, right? Um. Okay. Wait. Wait. Oh, is he Kay's brother? Maybe. Which would make him Brian and Kevin's uncle. That could be. That could be. Yeah. That could be it. I forgot about the first wife. Yeah. Because the Memphis Wrestling Wiki says brother-in-law. Yeah, that could be it. I forgot about the first wife. Well, it says You're introduced right. into the business as the brother-in-law and Jerry Lawler in 76. There you go. Yep. First and wife. Lawler still would have been with Kay then. Yep. So there you go. So there is. That, how is that something that's never talked about then, that he's Brian and Kevin's uncle? I know. Huh. All right. Um, Lawler and I will What? Wait, I, did I find something else here? Uh, I found someone claiming it was Paula, though. It makes if he's introduced as all his brother-in-law in '76, right? If Lawler that's accurate, Paula, then it would be K. Yeah, yeah. Lawler and Paula don't get married till '82, so yeah, I'm digging a little, but we'll see. All right, Lawler and Idol drew a ten thousand dollar gate in Louisville on August 9th. Which is the largest game oh, in that city for some time. I just found, okay, and this should be a fairly authoritative source. Tony Meyer saying on Wrestling Classics that it, that he's Paula's brother. Okay, well, how about that? So I guess his real name then is presumably Jerry Carruth. Well, okay. Um, huh. They're working as a few with Lawler and Carrie Von Erickens, Island, Tommy Rich. But Idol refused to wrestle as a heel. Why well, he's the heel in these matches with Lawler. He's going in like he's got a grudge with Lawler but isn't really a heel. So on August 9th in Louisville, we have Phil Hickerson retain the CWA title over Scott Steiner. Eric Embry retained the world-class lightweight title over Billy Travis. Jeff Jarrett and Little Coco over Robert Fuller in downtown Bruno by disqualification. And Idol over Lawler by disqualification. So Idol did not want to work as a heel here. Interesting. I don't know. Look at that. It's a idle. He has his ways at times. Well, aren't both TVs at least airing on FNN at the time in some fashion? Yes. So that explains that. All right, speaking of television, August 13th television, Brickhouse Brown finally turned. 
Robert Fuller came out in the wheelchair because of the leg injury suffered in Bill Dundee on Monday night. And Fuller said he had presents for all the stud stable. He gave Gary Young a robe. He gave Bruno a Rolex watch. He gave Sylvia a ring. Well, let's go to Brickhouse Brown, shall we? Okay, before we play it, I'm not going to get specific. Is this description Dave gives accurate? Well, we're about to watch it, and we're going to talk about that, so oh, okay. go ahead. It, it, okay, my, my instinct is right, though. Okay. Wait a minute. What now, We've seen a lot of long faces throughout this stable, and I want to cure a little bit of it right now if I can. If I get everybody's attention just a minute, guys, I bought everybody a little something. And I'll take real quick, not much of your program here, to give them out. First of all, Gary, <laughs> how do you like it, son? Oh. That's for you. Gorgeous yeah, Gary, yeah. the gorgeous one. What do you want to Now listen, Phil, yeah, while I'm handing out the other presents, I want you to be looking at that, son. Check out what that is right there. <laughs> That's going to make you feel pretty good rolling top of them. They was buying that land. Man. Thank you. I've, been, I've been holding that for you ever since you won that title. I'm so proud of you, man. I don't know what you're saying. You got, I got more Gettys. You got my ever-loving Lord. I got more Gettys. I love it. For the prettiest girl in the state of Tennessee, Kentucky, Arkansas, Mississippi, or any place else, my Georgia peach. I'm talking about Sylvia. That's for you right there. I gotta say, it's so conspicuous that he's in his wheelchair and has those sunglasses on. <laughs> well, he's still in the leg entry picks. And that's why he's wearing sunglasses? Well, that, it's, it's Robert Fuller. That's why he's wearing sunglasses. Well, not to toot my own horn, but toot toot. I got something for you, too. Oh, you got something for me, Yes, sir. Oh, right. Check it out, baby. Oh, man. Oh, Check it out. It's a Rolex. It's a Rolex. That's a Rolex. Check it out. Yeah. That's, That's a real thing. Look at that. There's a Rolex. See, we ever seen a Rolex? That's not a dime, bro. That's a real thing. It's a Rolex. Very generous. That ain't all of it. That ain't all of it, Buck. That ain't all of it. Hold that up, but I got you some more. I'll tell you, you figured I was going to come out here and whine like a jerk. You can forget that, because I don't do no whining, Lance Russell. I lay it down, baby. The ugly stick. That's what I got for you, son. Yeah. Talking about Those that Jarrett and Dundee. Listen, I got you a bunch of royal crown with that, too, boy. <laughs> How about that? It's a heck of a day, is it not? <laughs> what a day of present. I appreciate it, man. I don't believe it. <laughs> came out here and embarrassed me and degraded me. Every time I turn around, you coming out here getting your kicks off, bringing something out there like that, ridiculous me. Let me tell you something right now. I have had it! And let me tell you something else too right now. I ain't gonna call you on the phone. I ain't writing you no telegram. I'm telling you to your face right now. You low life thinking no good. No happening. Ah, oh, quit. Hey, you, 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 you,
can bet you, brother, that I'm going to be taken every time you make I'm going to tell you where you are. I'm going to tell you what to do with that contract. You saved that contract. So when you ain't got no politician, and you know what you can do with that contract. Come on, Robert, you listen here to me. Okay, what you're okay? You're thinking about the watermelon angle, that's and that's two, continental. That's, two, that's no, that's two weeks later. Uh, they, <clears throat> so wait, they reunite, or he acts like he wants to? Oh, it's that he acts like he wants to bring him back, and then the gift is actually a watermelon, something yes. like that. Yes, okay. But what happens here, though, and this one, he gives him a shower cap and a cassette tape. Um, what they and and what they did here, what was going on? was Hickerson was in the ring holding Brickhouse's arms together and they were whipping him with a bell like you would see a slave get whipped. So we still Well, Hickerson is wearing that, like, almost... Is that a, that's not a Confederate soldier's hat, is it? It looks similar, so... No. But it's... it's but, I, I don't know what that hat is. It does have a similar look. Well, and also Fuller kept calling him boy. Yeah, so you got plenty of racially charged stuff going on here. Mm-mm. It just ain't the watermelon angle. That airs two weeks later. Okay. But we do have another clip of this. So Brickhouse comes back out, and he's mad as hell, of course. So let's go to Brickhouse with Lance. I'm sure he's very angry. That ain't the word for it, man. Let me tell you something right now. Looking up for number one has always been a way of life for me, you understand? Son, let me tell you something, you long, lanky, not needed, beady-eyed, liver-lip, buck-teeth, no-good sucker. I could have been the greatest thing you ever had. 
Because let me tell you something. I ain't never claimed to be the biggest, nor the baddest. But where I come from, out of the Palm Place Project, in Miami, sucker, the big and the bad don't freak with me. And let me tell you something else. Gary Young, you of all people ought to know. I can be just as low, I can be just as sadistic, and I can get downright nasty. You people know it too. Well, when you hang out with guys like that... Hey, I ain't making no apologies for nothing I did, Lance. Because if I had the chance, I'd do it all over again, but only a little better. And I'm going to tell you something right now. Gary Young, homeboy, you don't know what you done got yourself into. Sucker! I want you start no! I want to beat the coat of white off your body. I want to be on you, like right on right. And everything that ain't nice. Like a collar on a dog. Like ham on a fat Tennessee hog. You going down, sucker, first. And then I'm going to get that overbearing, obnoxious, tacky, Phil Hickerson, and take back what is rightfully mine. And then, Jimmy Young, if you want some, I'll get you to. And last but not least, I'm telling you right now, you low-life, lethargic, decrepit, no good, under-the-house sleeping, fleeing bastard, mange-infested son of a dog. Robert Fuller, it's all with you now. You wanted some, now you got to come it and get it, boy. But you got to bring some to get some, Lance Russell. Brickhouse, we don't make matches here. Hey, you I'll know that. I'm right now. If you don't make a match with it, I'll take it out in the alley where I'm used to doing it anyway. I'll, I'll get it when he's in the parking lot, going to the building. I don't make hey, matches. You better do something quick, man, because I tell you right now, hey, you better do something. Randy Hales out here. The daddy was the last man to whoop me, and he told me it ain't hard to knock a good man down, but it's hard to keep him now. And I'm standing up right now, and I'm calling the stud stable out. You get me a match, Randy. You get me a match quick. Lance, we can't have fights all over the studio. We will Please. change. I'll go back. We'll change the card. You want a match with Jerry Young? I want it so I can taste it. I'm going to put some We'll sign the match. Hey. We'll sign the match. You got it this week. I'll change the card right okay. now. You got because if I don't get him in the ring, brother, I'll take it anywhere. Okay, Brick, we understand. Okay, right now, we're going to take a look at a little video with the world heavyweight champion, Jerry the King Lawler. Uh, <clears throat> I mean... You can tell that studio crowd had badly been wanting a pushed black baby face for a while. How about what Dave says here? The angle, the angle didn't get over well. Since they hinted at it for too long, and the fans simply don't like Brickhouse. What? Yeah, that's what he just said. That's not reality. Then to get him over as a babyface, they immediately had Jarrett and Dundee tell him they would team with him, which that wasn't on the uh, that was on the live show. We don't have that on our version. So, hmm. yeah, that's what I was thinking too. What the hell is Dave uh, watching? You know? But I mean, yeah. Brickhouse was over. I mean, the and he had, see, and Brickhouse has been there. It's the Black Prince. I mean, he had done that whole run. Then he transitioned into uh, working with Brother Ernest. Now he's with Fuller. So he's going from heel manager to, well, heel faction to heel faction. And here he is, you know, doing this thing. Yeah. And yeah, the, fa the fans are into it. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I hate to say it. This is just pure speculation, but... We've been through, like, three months 
of Dave constantly mentioning that it seems like Memphis is ripping off Continental Angles. They do an original angle that gets over big with the studio crowd. And in The Observer, Dave is talking about how much the angle did not get over. <laughs> hmm. Yeah. I don't know. Robert Fuller is not as good a booker <laughs> as me and Eddie. He does not know how to get over a black baby face as well as Eddie and I have with Willie B. Hart. <laughs> Dundee and Jarrett beat the RPMs in a TV match by DQ when Bruno hit Dundee with a chair. RPMs who just came in from USA, right? Mm-hmm. Max Payne is gone, home to Utah, which means he won't be wrestling for any major groups. While Senshi, Akio Sato, and Tojo Yamamoto are also gone. But Payne is back in Tennessee before long, booking an outlaw promotion for some reason. Which is on YouTube now, thanks to uh, Armstrong Alley. Ben. For well, uh, Armstrong Alley, he prefers to be called. Yes. Um... Big Bubba is returning here to folding the Billy Jack Haynes group in Oregon. This is Ottman. Yes. But he doesn't come. No. He does not. He goes to Florida. U.S. Steel. Also new to the area, Mongolian Stomper will be teaming with Jimmy Golden while Fuller's out of action. Will he? Uh, they may be a shot or two. Okay. Lawler supposedly captured the world-class title in Memphis on August 15th, and they repeated the scenario on August 16th in Louisville with Carrie Von Eric. What happened in these matches were both referees were knocked out during the match, and Billy Travis ran in to officiate the match and counted by Eric down for the three count. However, his foot was on the ropes, so but they did a title switch. On TV over the weekend, it was Nessa Lawler who reviewed the tapes, and since he didn't win fairly, he decided to get carry about the world-class belt. The Lawler came match Louisville described as a two-star belt because there was too much stalling. Louisville drew 2,000, which was the largest crowd there in a long time, both for the main event, and also the return of Jimmy Valiant, the team with Jeff Charity against Fuller, who didn't have a broken leg here yet, and Jimmy Golden. Candy Devine wrestled Sylvia on the card. You probably guessed that Robert Fuller interfered and stomped away at Candy. So, there is that. Well, wait a second. Which foot was on the rope? <laughs> the other one. <laughs> well, that's, that's good. That's good. I don't know what the ruling would be on that. Windy City Wrestling. Hey, it's this me group, again. <laughs> this group returned to the National Amphitheater in Chicago on August 12, drawing a $15,000 house. The main matches saw Bam Bam Bigelow win a 16-man battle royal, which lasted less than seven minutes by throwing out two heels. Dave heard Randy Rose and Janice Condry, and also heard it was Doug Summers and Colonel DeBeers simultaneously to win. Abdul the Butcher massacred a guy named Frank Melson, who served for Nord the Barbarian in the main event with heavy juice and everything. Butcher even attended a Japanese photographer, not Jimmy Suzuki, at ringside, and the photographer juiced as well. Nord was announced as not appearing because he'd been hospitalized for depression, caused by the death of Bruiser Brody which is probably deserving of the war for the most single honest announcement of why a main eventer didn't appear in the history of pro wrestling. In 1988? Yes. How about that? And, you know, I mean, and you definitely could understand that. Yeah, I'm curious if Nord specifically told them it was okay to say it, but it's wild to see that out in the open in 1988. Yeah, I know. But it makes sense, because that's his mentor and friend and idol. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as I mentioned, the show saw Conjure and Rose, managed by Paul E, retain the Windy City Tag Bells, beating the Terminators, went dangerously through the phone to Randy, who used it set up to win. The Windy City Dream Team, said to be horrible, beat Buddy Rose and Doug Summers by DQ for a reverse decision, and match where Rose and Summers tried to make decent, 
but never had a chance of being successful at. Larry the Bull Cameron beat Stormy Apollo, Stormy Granzi by count out 39 seconds. And Steve Regal, Mr. Electricity Steve Regal, kept the Windy City title beating Colonel De Beers by DQ with Conji and Rose attack Regal. So this place is Paul booking Windy City Wrestling. Yes, and while obviously for these major shows they are drawing very well for an independent promotion, it's also very obvious to some degree that they're getting more coverage in the Observer because Paul's booking. Well, yes, and they're you know being talked about heavy and stuff like that. So, yeah. all right, uh, next shows on September 30th, where they're scheduled to run some spot shows starting in late September as well. And the group will have TV both in Chicago, and Minneapolis within the next few weeks. Good old so. Bill Robinette hosting. Yeah. So it's interesting that this is Paul's first booking. Head booking. Job. Head booking job. You know what I mean? Yeah. So. I yeah. love the, I love the thing though on the Heyman WWE DVD where he's acting like Windy City is a territory that he's booking while Eddie's booking Continental. He's like, he would ask me for an idea for Continental. I would ask him for an idea for Chicago. <laughs> yeah, like, dude, you're booking like a big show every few months and some spot shows. Stop. <laughs> yeah. Let's go to World Class Championship Wrestling. On August 12th in Dallas, Samoa SWAT team captured the world-class version of their tag titles, beating Kevin and Kerry. When Buddy Roberts had Kevin distracted while the Samoans double-teamed to pin Kerry. Dave knows that Buddy's pretty really good as Samoans' manager. Now, at this point, do they hold any of the other belts yet, or is this their first reign of anything? This is their first. And then within they, weeks, they win both the Texas and Wild West tag titles as well. Yeah. And Buddy was really good in that role. It, it kind of revitalized him. Yes. Very good. And now look, I know you've said that based on house show stuff, the best run the SST had was WCW. But based on what we have on tape, if you haven't seen the SST in world class, you have not seen the SST. I think, I think what you could say is they were better in NWA, but they were maybe more impressive in world class. Maybe. They look more impressive. That I think that's the thing. I think the they face paint ma- helped a lot. They had better match. They, they had better matches in NWA, but were more impressive in world class. Mm. I think that's the way to go. I don't know. I, I at least from what's on TV, I like the Hayes and Cox feud more than their WCW stuff. Oh, the shit with the Road Warriors is fantastic. It is. So Marietta Master. Uh, I'm more that's it, more partial to that. All right, Sportatorium seven fifty. Stephen Casey, Stephen Dane over Bob Bradley in a dud. Lots of missed moves. I bet that matches on YouTube though. And we and we maybe get to read about uh, Bob Bradley's dirty, stinky feet as well in the comments. <laughs> Steve Simpson over Jack Victory by DQ, three stars. Two stars, excuse me. Jimmy Jack Font won a squash match. Then SST's over to Von Erics for the title. This is for the next week. So Dave said, had the finish reported incorrectly last week. Actual finish saw Buddy hand Fatu to loaded glove, and he used it to pin Kevin win the belts in a three-and-a-half-star match. Well, he says Buddy handed Fatu the loaded glove. Fatu, yeah. yeah. Fatu. Fatu. Then uh, Wobbler on a Matt Bourne went to WDQ with Jimmy Jeff Funt and Black Bart. Two and three-quarter stars are in a pretty tight, fast-paced match. And Manuel Villalobos over Ron Ellis in a dud. Speaking of Manuel, August 7th in San Antonio at the Freeman Coliseum. Open a match. Manuel Villalobos over Rudy Boy Gonzalez. 
Then we have Blatt Bard against Rob Bellero. One, Steve, do it to a cock. Summon for Sean Simpson over Jack Victory. John Tatum against Steve Simpson. Samoan SWAT team over Steve, do it to a cock. Michael Hayes. And then Carrie Von Eric, summon for Kevin, beating Kamala. Being that he is the only non-world-class regular on the show, they are in San Antonio, and he's not a substitute. Are we to assume that Rudy Boy Ted Pettied his way onto the show? It's possible. Not to be confused with Rockwood and Rebeling oneself onto the show. <laughs> it's similar possible. but different. He may have been some. He may have done some referee work. Mm-hmm. So, all right. Savannah Jack had his heart problem licked. I guess it says licked. I don't know. He's I think it actually did him. say licked. Yeah, I guess so. And he's looking to return to pro wrestling, possibly world class. At one time, I thought Jack would need a heart transplant, but his heart made a major recovery at about the time he gave up steroids. Well, funny how that worked out, didn't it? Savannah Jack doesn't return to any major pro wrestling. He may have worn some sharky stuff, but he doesn't return anywhere else. And it's a shame because I always like Savannah Jack. I mean, he wasn't a great worker by any stretch of imagination, but I enjoyed him, and I thought he had... Had a, you know, had a cool gimmick. Charismatic, yeah. Yeah. So, but yeah, he doesn't return. Steve and Sean Simpson have quit world class, it says here. So there's that. Um, Fritz Von Erich has been back in the office so late, and the company has turned into a family-run operation once again. Well, not for long. Not for long at all. No, and with Steve and Sean, I'm assuming... This is some kind of Ken Mantell, Alec Simpson drama that is going to manifest in the uh, changes in the company. That Well, no, wait a second. What am I talking about? I'm thinking of the timeline wrong. This must be when Alec Simpson leaves. Yeah. Or when he disappears. Yeah. Let's go to Kansas City. Bob Geigel, Memorial Hall, August 11th. T.C. Carter went to a draw with Jason Sterling. Solomon Grundy over Mike Stone by disqualification. The Grim Reaper over Steve Sawyer, which is, uh, that's Bar Sawyer, isn't it? Yes, I believe so. Yeah. Rip McCord over Tommy Gilbert, who's booking here. And Carrie Von Eric and Vince Apollo, Playboy Vince Apollo over Mike George and Kamala. That's a match. Yeah. And then we got the AWA. AWA TV show News ESPN still maintain a 1.8 national rating in the late Saturday night slot, which makes it the second highest rated show on the station. Which is pretty impressive, considering the respect the station gives it. It is. It really is. Because Dave's right. I mean, they give them no respect. No respect. Zero. So. So, yeah. Um, Colonel DeVere and Jimmy Snooker are both heads at AWA to renew their legendary feud. And will wrestle each other on the big November show, if that ever comes to fruition. Well, they don't wrestle each other on that show, no. No. Did you catch Vern Gagne's comments regarding Kurt Henning that even if he hadn't been suspended, that Rocky Mountain Thunder would have done him in any way? Why do they insist on saying such stupid things? <laughs> oh, Rocky Mountain Thunder. I just thought about a year later, he's uh, doing jobs on WWE television. Yeah. And Dave's there for it. Mm hmm. Listen to last week's show if you want to hear more about that. If you somehow have mm-hmm. Yes. And this is an interesting note to close out this section with. A couple of notes that should be more of importance in a year or two. There are two more cable sports networks attempting to get into cable television's game. 
Mizlou was launched in All Sports Network in April 1989. The daytime will consist mainly of posting betting odds and results. However, they won a sta- heavy staple of both boxing and pro wrestling on the network, which in theory would give another smaller promotion a national outlet. NBC is coming out with a cable station called CNBC, which also feature a heavy emphasis on sports. And they're looking at for a one-hour pro wrestling show for the weekends. Dave's not sure when they are planning on debuting their station. Obviously, that FNN-style CNBC does not happen. No, but that is a thing, you know, that was talked about. This CNBC was going to be more of a sports-oriented station to be, at the beginning. On nights and weekends. Yeah. Um, and the Mizlou Network, I don't think, happens either, right? Uh, no. Not at all. Yes, and also, as we should mention, since we're talking about CNBC... CNBC was one of the worst things that could have happened as far as there being a variety of wrestling on cable TV. Two reasons. One, even though it was unrelated content-wise, they bought Tempo Television, the former satellite program network, because it had a fairly wide reach in terms of homes, even if it wasn't that popular, but had aired a bunch of wrestling over the years. All sorts of stuff from... UWF Power Pro to All Japan Women to ICW to uh, Best of Texas Wrestling to probably other stuff I'm forgetting. Oh, um, Texas All-Star is another one to maybe other stuff I'm forgetting. But they bought it just to have more coverage. And then eventually after they launched, they also bought FNN. So that was the end of FNN score. So yes, you can blame CNBC for why so much of that secondary stuff that was available on national cable went away. All right, so let me, uh, before we close out completely, let me uh, give a clarification on the Brickhouse Brown timeline. Okay. It was it was July. It was the last Saturday of July they did the watermelon angle. So that happened already. So July 30th. So I'm, I'm actually watching it now. Brickhouse gets into it with Fuller, and they don't, there's no physical stuff. All right. The next week... Were other people give, being given gifts in that segment, though? or It was a party. Okay. The next week, B- uh, Brick is... Um, he teams up with Hickerson against Billy Travis and Scott Steiner. And then um, the week after that's when they do that, when we just played. Yeah. And the week after... The week after our week... Um, is when uh, let's see, it's the end. It's the ending of the whole angle. Uh, Brickhouse, they it, it, they do a whole recap of the whole thing. So basically, what? Because if you look at it on YouTube, every pretty much every TV show except the one that Brickhouse only wrestles one match on and does our promo is called Watermelon Angle. Yes, it's it's a three out of four week deal. I guess it's like the saga. The saga of the family with J.J. Dillon and Dusty Rose. It's a saga of the watermelon, I guess. I don't uh, know. Great. Um, for what it's worth, searching, like, I limited it to Summer 89 on uh, one file just for the word Mizlou. The only hit is from Our Week in Broadcasting Magazine, but just talking and passing about the bowl games that they've bought the rights to syndicate. Yeah, because Mizzou was a huge syndication thing for for sports, for basketball, mainly college, college basketball, college football, stuff like that. Yes. So, 
But we talked about this before, didn't we? I mean, we, we talked about this on a, re- a, not a fairly kind of recent show. Maybe. Where we talk, talked about them trying to start their own network. So, I don't know. All right, well, let's close out the show now with World Wrestling Federation. And we are going to be joined now by the man who requested us to do this show for this week. And um, he put down the $50 to sit in for a segment. And we're glad to have him on. Longtime uh, listener and patron. Greg Sirota is with us. Greg, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's great to be here. I appreciate it. Awesome. Awesome. Now, uh, you know, whenever we have a patron that does the show, we always ask why they wanted to do the show. So what was your reasoning for doing uh, this week? Um, well, I just uh, basically picked any 80s show. I'm all about the 80s. Um as far as wrestling goes, um, so really, I'm I'm happy to talk about any week from the '80s, and um, this is pretty good week, it turns out. Yeah, decent amount going on uh, on the, on this week. So, uh, you wanted to sit in for World Wrestling Federation, so uh, let's get going here. As uh, <clears throat> not a really a whole whole hell of a lot going on here, but SummerSlam's on the way, and Madison Square Garden sold out for SummerSlam on August the eighth, and for the first time in several years. They were opening up the felt forum for closed circuit television. The last time Dave heard, they were just about sold out in that building as well. Well, I mean, <clears throat> they have the real hot angle right now where Hogan and Savage are teaming up, the Mega Powers and DiBiase and Andre, the Mega Bucks and all that stuff. So, you know, getting Master Garden, this being the first ever SummerSlam, I mean, Greg, it kind of makes sense for them to uh, be be doing this and be you know having the ability to uh, draw that well for this show uh makes a lot of sense to start off the garden uh home base for the company uh hogan on top um the undercard's a little uh lackluster but uh as far as the main event goes that was i think the right thing to do at the time you mentioned the undercard i mean basically bix i mean this is a one match show pretty much if you think about it and this is the most they ever booked a pay-per-view undercard like it was a half show. Yes. I mean, basically came off as a garden show. <laughs> it's just a, your, your standard garden show with yeah. just the monster main event. Yeah. And, of course, we had, you know, the warrior thing is going to happen that night. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, this is definitely the epitome of what you call a one-match show. And uh, it's doing mega business, no pun intended. And I mean, it is the first time the Mega Powers team up, right? There was nothing before this, was there? It is It is their very first time as a tag team. That's the people don't think about I me, mean, don't really know, maybe, is uh, they didn't team. Um, they uh, they may have teamed in a TV taping as a, a dark main event, but as far as I know, they did not... Uh, yeah, they didn't team up at all. Okay, I was wrong. They teamed up at a dark TV taping on January 5th. Them against uh, Honky and the Heart Foundation. January 5th, 88? Yep. They, uh, yeah, so that's one. So, um, let me see. Alright. Uh, yeah, that was, I think that's the one time. So, yeah. How about that? But anyway. Alright, the main fuse next month will be Andre versus Savage for the title. Hogan against DiBiase. Jake Roberts against Rick Rude, with Jake bringing wife Cheryl to be his second in these matches. 
which is the scenario goes as originally planned some months back, will end up with Rit Root's sister in his corner. So Titan can do a girl's view without involving Elizabeth, who they want to remain untouched. Plus, Brutus BK versus Ron Bass. With all the great wrestlers Titan has, please explain why Ron Bass is suddenly getting a big push. And the Unbelievable Warrior versus Honky Tonk Man over the IC title. Well, Bass is willing to uh, get his head shaved, so that's why he's getting pushed. <laughs> I mean, that would be the main reason in all this. But, uh, Greg, you're looking at these feuds here and uh, what's being talked about. I mean, this is basically what carries the WF through the rest of the uh, the year until Bossman and Akeem get going. Right. I was looking at the matches leading up to this. Bass, first of all, unless I'm not unless I'm wrong, Bass isn't even booked on SummerSlam. So I, I, I wasn't sure why they were pairing him with the you know the BK feud leading up to the show. Um, Bass seemed just like an old He attacked he attacked Beefcake on the television the Saturday before SummerSlam. That's right. that that gets Beefcake off SummerSlam. Right. And uh, so there's your angle. Yeah. And Bass, I mean, he was, uh, I first became aware of him in early 80s Florida. Uh, I seen past his prime, but I guess he did, he did the, the role here properly. Um, but I was, uh, I was really excited um, more so for, you know, Hogan DiBiase uh, after the, you know, in the weeks after the show, things like that. Yeah. Hogan DiBiase, you know, they, they, that, that feud makes a lot of sense because DiBiase paid Andre off to get the title off Hogan, and they didn't have a singles feud. So it makes sense to go to this singles feud, but it doesn't last because they, they immediately go to Boss Man not very long after this, and they when they start doing the Mega Powers Twin Towers feud. So Savage Andre ended up being a thing and did fairly well. Um on the house shows, but again, that didn't last very long either. It's interesting to look at the, that, you, that. You know, you would think that these these feuds will last a little bit, but they don't because they transition into to other ones. And you know, looking at Savage Andre, um, September 29th at the Garden, they drill thirteen thousand five hundred. That's what the number is on here on uh, History WE, and October twenty fourth, twelve thousand five hundred. So they're not that's not drawing that great because you look at the November twenty sixth show, Hogan Bossman on top, nineteen thousand seven hundred. <laughs> so and Savage Bad News comes back to close the year out, sixteen thousand. So what's that tell you? You know, that's interesting to look at, you know. And those numbers they have are, you know, not all the way right. And at this point in time we're not getting the proper numbers like we used to for the newspapers, so I, mean, I don't know what the real numbers were, but um, but yeah, I mean, you would thought Savage and Andre would be a better draw, but it wasn't. I guess Andre at this point in time, maybe people are tired of him in that position, you know, challenge for the world title. I don't know. Uh, but the thing that stands out here to me, picks is the Jake Rick Root thing talking about Rick Root's sister. Yes. Which they don't do, but that would have been an interesting twist if they would have went that direction. Yeah, and I would think if they did that, they maybe would acknowledge her. They would probably acknowledge she was his sister because I I think anything else would compromise the rude gimmick as they wanted to present it. 
Well, or do you think Vince would have wanted her brought in as his girlfriend? So we know how Vince loves incest. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but it doesn't happen. So yes, there's and, that. Uh, there was something else he said. Now I can't remember. That was his mention. Anyway. And Warrior Honky, of course, is going to you know be the rematches for the IC title and this, that, and the other. So that makes sense. Yeah. Now Andre Sav- Andre Savage did draw well in the Bay Area. On August twelfth in Oakland, they drew one hundred twenty-five thousand dollar gate, around ten thousand five hundred paid. Next night in Los Angeles, they did a hundred forty thousand dollar gate. Those figures are phenomenal when you consider all the competing sports events in both cities. Giants and Dodgers had a series in Los Angeles, which was televised in the Bay Area, which has lots of interest. Plus, NFL opened up their exhibition games. And Crockett was in and did business in both cities previous week. Well, the reality, Major League Baseball, the NFL, and Jim Crockett all draw from a very different audience than the WWF does. Owen Hart wrestled as the Blue Angels, stole the show in Los Angeles. I think a near four-star match with Barry Horowitz. But in this match, was over more than anyone on the card except for Savage. Kurt Henning appeared in prelims on both shows. Being a decent response in Oakland, but almost no response at all in Los Angeles. Working with S.D. Jones both nights and having one-star matches. Other matches both nights saw Savage beat Andre by DQ. Duds, though Savage tried. Rougeau's over Heart Foundation, fairly good both nights. Jake over Rick Rude, all rest holes in Los Angeles, but okay in Oakland. And Powers of Pain over the Bolsheviks. Yeah, that Owen uh, Horowitz match, and this is Blue Angel, the precursor to the Blue Blazer, was a hell of a match. <laughs> I mean, I remember watching this for the first time, I think, when we did the original. 80s project, WF Picks, the one that you were a part of. And, uh, yeah, it was a hell of a match. It's a, that's an excellent match. And that is that probably the best Barry Horowitz WWF match on tape? I think so. I think it's better think, than I the think... skit matches and the Horner matches. Oh, God, yes, 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 yes. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And Owen, weirdly, is wearing, so he's wearing his Stampede gear. And that mask that Steve DeSalvo wore in Stampede after he got hit with a fireball. <laughs> yeah. It's funny looking. Yes. And then when he gets the actual gear, it doesn't look great, apparently, because, at least as Brett explained it, um, Brett knew someone who would make really good gear, I think it was, and Martha had a friend who wanted to do it. So Owen went with her and looked meh. Yeah. It doesn't look terrible, but it looks meh. Yeah, it, it wasn't up to par for WWF at the time, that's what I guess we could say. Yeah. Um, interesting thing here that Dave says is he's comparing the uh, the fan bases of NFL, Major League Baseball, Crockett, and WWF. And at this time in 1988, I think that's a fair assessment on his part, as WWF was going from a totally different uh, pool of fans than those other groups and organizations. Although, if, if we use some alleged fit dollar figures mentioned during the scandals and stuff, they were bigger than the NFL. But Oh, well, of course. They're going to say that. But this is, I mean, this is around the peak of, like, all of the retail merch and stuff. Although, I mean, maybe 90 is, but we're closing in there. Yeah, ain't now, because they're still LJN. So, yeah, we haven't got to that, that, that boom yet. All right, the word is that SummerSlam, Elizabeth will show up wearing a robe, and at a key point during the match, will drop the robe and be nothing but a stream bikini and high heels, which will distract either Andre or Jess Ventura and lead to a babyface win. 
Remember, however, this is a story they are planting, so to speak, because they're hoping the idea of Liz in a stream bikini will be able to sell this dud of a show. And it probably will, believe it or not. Well, it was not a well, string bikini. <laughs> what, what was it, Vix? It was basically red bikini bottoms uh, after she took her skirt off from the dress, yeah, but resulting I... in superstar Billy Graham yelling, She took her dress off! But but how was it portrayed, though, in the promo? Oh, so, oh okay, I, I wasn't sure if that's where you're going. That would be the I can't do Savage. Yellow polka dot bikini. Yeah, and I think it was a chip. <laughs> mm. You know, I mean, you you put that out there, and then you get what you get, and it's like, that it? I mean, what do you think about that, Greg, when you saw it for the first time? Uh, well, I was coming up on 12 years old, so I really enjoyed it. Uh, <laughs> I, I thought, well... Elizabeth, maybe I didn't describe it this way at the time, but Elizabeth had always been a very demure type of attractive woman. Uh, she definitely was not a Missy Hyde type. Uh, so I was, as as a fan and as a kid, I was I was more than pleased with the using that as a distraction for the for the heels, so the baby faces could win. Yeah, I don't know. I just I just felt like they they under delivered on that one had for they what they were promoting. Uh... Had they released the Liz at the Gym poster yet? Mm, I don't know. I don't know what the timeline would have been on that. Because that was allegedly a big seller. Well, I mean, yeah, you can see that because, you know, Elizabeth, I mean, you would get cleavage from Elizabeth, you know, and stuff like that, but it went you against weren't the gimmick, it. And that's why Russo had his weird obsession with getting her naked on TV. But that's, yeah, that's the thing. That That is the thing. I mean... She was one of these where, you know, she wasn't showing as much as others. So if the opportunity came for her to show more, then that's going to arouse the libido of a lot of a lot of males because she's forbidden fruit. Mm -hmm. You know? Yeah. By the way, I'm getting this. I happened to pull up the uh, L.A. Times ad for the Los Angeles show and uh so the match that ends up being Sam Houston versus Jack Armstrong under a match, this, and we'll probably talk about some of this later, and was originally advertised as him and Iron Cheek. Iron Cheek has been fired once again for the same reason he's constantly <laughs> been in trouble for. Really a shame to see someone who started out in this business as a genuine Spartan athlete wind up like Sheik has. We segued right into that one, Vic. Yeah, I hadn't scrolled down. So. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, this is it for Sheiky and WWF, and uh, he gets hired by the NWA uh, in the next year. Yeah, so that was fortuitous for him financially, for reasons that no one anticipated. Yeah. Yeah, it's just, when he came back in this run, I mean, it just... He aged overnight. He aged overnight, and it just, he didn't fit. Even though a lot of the people were that were there were, st were there when he was there before. But just like, he, it, I don't know. It, it just it just didn't work. It didn't work. All right, let's go to Greensboro Coliseum and the WS first show in Greensboro, and they drew three thousand six hundred seventy fans, which is not good with this main event they had too. But the undercard ain't that hot either, so that could be one reason. One man gang over DJ Peterson in your opening match, Terry Taylor over Scott Casey, Lanny Poffa over Bix's favorite Trent Knight. King Haku over the Junkyard Dog. 
Powers of Pain over uh, Borzukov, Nikolai Volkov. Rick Rude over Jake Snake by Countout. Demolition retained the tag titles over at British Bulldogs. And Hogan over Andre by disqualification in 10 minutes. So they gave him Hogan and Andre, which was not a house show feud at this time. And they still drew only 3,670 fans. Now, we could chalk that up for a couple of things. I mean, Greensboro at this time was already starting to have some uh, some some drop off in crowds from the Crockett shows. Um, so maybe it's a a market centric thing. But as I look here, all right. So the last Crockett show drew six thousand six hundred thirty two. That was on July sixteenth. The next Crockett show drew 6,000 on August 28th. Now, September 11th, they drew 2,500. <laughs> For Flair and Luger, you know, and, and they went in their big rematch uh, around the horn. So, I don't know. I, I, I don't know what it could have been, but it just didn't work no matter what. You know, and... That was the thing that they dealt with when they went into these, you know, Southern strongholds. A lot of the times they struggle to draw because it's not the wrestling that it's the home wrestling in these markets like this. Mm-hmm. So that's a tough one. Fix. I mean, what, what's your theory on what may have happened here? I think it's obvious what happened here. It's just the interesting part is that they gave him Hogan Andre and it didn't draw. I know. Because wow. has okay, has the Milwaukee match happened yet or is that later in August? That happened, July thirty first. Okay. So I think those are their only two house show singles matches, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. They, that was the week early. So they okay, so I get why they did it, but it is well, interesting content. Well it, it's Greensboro, so of course they're gonna do it. And I and I, Andre lives in North Carolina too, so that's yeah, another there, thing. There is that. But uh, it did not work. Absolutely not. Now, they had three three crews that night going out. Another crew was in Manchester, New Hampshire, where Owen Hart, without the hood, Pinberry Horowitz, Conquistadors, Pin the Rockers. Believe it or not, they are running that result in several cities. Uh, they did the Patera Bravo arm wrestling skit. Danny Davis over George Skolan. And Tito says Tanner Boston by DQ. Well, well, the other. I was going to say, what? at least it's nice to see a wrestling show in New Hampshire where everyone got paid. Huh. Could be, maybe 10 people might get, get that one. <laughs> and then Toronto, 8,500 fans. Sam Houston over Iron Mike Sharp. Sam looked good. Rougeau's over the Heart Foundation. Good match. Ron Bass over Coco Beware. Frankie was the best worker in this match. Iron Sheik over Front Kick Milano, whoever the hell that is. Bad news round over Hacksaw Jim Duncan, clean in the middle with the instigator to set up Brown versus uh, Hogan on August 28th. You got to give credit to their bookers for having one of their top eight faces do a clean job that makes sense for the following card's main event. Honky over Beefcake using a megaphone and Savage over DiBiase in a very good cage match. That is a very interesting result, Greg. Duggan doing a clean job for uh, Bad News Brown. That's something that, that went, that's off against their normal modus operandi in this situation. Well, I guess uh, the effects of the Jersey Turnpike uh, incident uh, carried over to the following years. Um, 
Also, I think Bad News Brown, I, I took him seriously as a legitimate contender for the championship. So I don't see anything wrong with putting him over at, at that moment. It's just something they didn't normally do like this. That's the thing. Yeah. And then, because, I mean, Duggan is a guy who, I mean, he's had he's had the Andre feud. Or has he had that yet? No. Right? So, okay. We're getting there. Okay. So we haven't had the Andre feud yet, but. I mean, Duggan's a guy who they're going to do a lot with in the next year, so it's, just, it's interesting that they that they did that. But it makes sense because if you're going to put Bad News against Hogan on the next show, then yeah, you need you definitely need to put him over strong. Absolutely. Also, could it be that Duggan's the type of guy where he doesn't really lose his uh, heat? He doesn't really lose the support of the fans, even if he has to do a job. Yeah, yeah, there is that. That he's kind of bulletproof in ways. Yeah, you're, you got a point there. It's kind of like he was doing what he was doing for Hogan, what Chief J. Strongo did for San Martino. In a way, yeah, yeah. All right, the LA car we talked about earlier, all right, um, which was tough. That's on Z Channel. Um, Pals and Auburn Hills, August 15th. Bad News over Coco, one star. Rougeau's over Heart Foundation, star and a half. Valentine over Morocco, half a star. George Animal Steel by Danny Davis by Countout, one star. They so don't know what possibly a star could be for. Savage over DiBiase by Countout in 1017, three stars. Bossman Squash for Terra, half star. Wherever Honky Tonk in 240, star to half. And Demolition of the Bulldogs, one star. That must sound like a great show, i tell you that. Uh, are we to assume these are John Muse star ratings? It's possible. Omaha on the 15th drew uh, 5248 as Terry Taylor pinned Scott Casey, best match on the card. Current handing over Sam Houston, also a good match. Ron Bass over S.D. Jones. Powers fan over Bolsheviks. Jake over Rude after 20 minutes of rest holds. Beefcake over Hercules in a terrible 708, which contained no contact for the first four minutes. And Andre over Duggan in a terrible match. Well, Andre and Duggan's here, Vic, so I don't know about that. It may, this may have been the when did the? Feud, I don't even remember what the angle that started it was, though. I mean, they did the two-by-four thing. Uh, oh, God. Well, that was Saturday Night's main event. I seem to think. Okay, yeah, it was coming out of Mania. Okay, I remembered it wrong. Yeah, I knew it. That's what I thought they had defeated by this point in time. So, the fuse had already happened. Yeah. And we're finishing it up now. Yeah. Oh, I know what I was thinking of. Is that the, um, I guess it's more part of the Warrior feud? There's the uh, Andre and Rude versus Duggan and Warrior international exclusive match. That I think is from later, but that, like I said, it's probably well, actually and, yeah, and on, from the other few. Andre and Jake, Andre and Jake's coming up too, you know, in '89. So, so yeah, and I think the, uh, I think maybe the reason why it was Duggan is I'm looking at some of these early results of the few. Duggan's replacing Bigelow, mm. which and Andre hated. Okay. Yeah. And, Andre hated Bigelow, so Andre probably said, I, "I'm not working with him." <laughs> so yeah alright we got one clip for this week Jimmy Hart's on Brother Love and the Hart Foundation will make an appearance in this as well as uh, Jimmy's going to help demolition against the Hart Foundation at SummerSlam so uh, let's go to the clip are we going to get any teases for Brother Love's SummerSlam segment where he will be interviewing someone who never appeared in Madison Square Garden before I'm not positive it's here, no. Okay. Ladies and gentlemen. Oh, oh yes. Brother Love. 
Oh, that music just make your blood vessels start pumping. I need some Ramadan or something. I get a little odd today every time I see that kisser. Very sincere man. Yeah. Hasn't lied to me. No. Maybe in the last two or three minutes. <laughs> Why is his face so red? Summer Slam! Shy. And this is one of the very first Brother Love shows, right? Yeah, it's very early because he doesn't have the full makeup. <laughs> he's not nearly as red as he's going to be. Yes, and just for the record, Brucey is 25 here. Yes. 88 is drawing ever closer. Of that. But this week, I would like to have as my guest a gentleman whose very name oozes love. So please welcome now my dear friend, Brother Mouth of the Jimmy Hart! Now we got two bleeding hearts out there. Brother Mouth, it is indeed a pleasure to have you here. But I understand that there is some dissension within the ranks of the Heart Foundation. You know, Brother Love, my heart is heavy because of the Heart Foundation. They have turned their back on the light that guided them to the top of the World Wrestling Federation. Hallelujah. But I don't get mad, Brother Love, but I will get even. Now, now, Brother Mouth, Heart's heavy, the but his wallet's light. Foundation <laughs> will battle the team, the World Tag Team Champions Demolition at SummerSlam 88. Is that correct? That is right, Brother Love. And I've got a big, big surprise, Brother Love. Because you see, Mr. Fuji and Jimmy Hart have joined forces. Uh-oh. And in SummerSlam 88, I will be standing next to them in their corner when they take on the Hart Foundation for the World Wrestling Federation Tag Team titles. Boy, that's a shocker. Well, so, so you will... Be, be right there in the corner to back demolition. I'll be standing right there, and I'm gonna tell everything I know about the Heart Foundation. I'm gonna tell all of their secrets, all of their weaknesses, the everything. Oh, look at there. here they are, brother love. Look at Jim the Apple Night Heart. I took these guys. Pick on a guy like Jimmy Hart. Look at him, Jimmy. When I managed you, baby, you were in shape. Look at that big belly sliding over his tights. Look at you, Bret Hart. Just because a couple of fat pimp women and girls screamed over you, you thought you were Robert Redman. There he goes. Now, now, He's done his true colors. Now, Brother Anvil, Brother Hitman, now here was a man who loved you. His love took you to the pinnacle, took you to the top. 
wrestling federation. We got rid of Jimmy Hart because he loved. That's right. He loved you. He loved you too. Oh, money. Oh. He loved. Now the truth's coming out. Our glory. And most of all, he loved himself. He's nothing right. but a false prophet just like you. <laughs> Let me tell you something else. We are going to love on August 29th. We are going to love to win back the World Heavyweight Tag Team Championship of the, the world. Yeah, world Heavyweight Tag Team Championship of the world. Yes. Brother Love, do have anything to say? You know, I think a very important part here was missed. He said Jimmy Hart loved glory. He loved the money. He loved the fame. He gave them love, Please. money, fame, and glory. Please. Then interrupt Brother Love, a disgrace to a, a good man like that. Diarrhea of the Mouth doesn't have anything to say. We'll be back. <laughs> they should have just kept Brother Love's look like that instead of going extremely overboard with the makeup. Yes, yes, even if that was kind of the gimmick. I know, but still, it was it got way overboard there, though. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's an effective segment to uh, get over the the Hart Foundation's breakup with Jimmy, and uh, they get probably love over even more as so, a interviewer, so to speak. So uh, yeah, served his purpose. So there's that, and brother love. I mean, he would become a stalwart for the next three years. You know, pretty much in, in on the television. So, so yeah. And Jimmy Hart, of course, has his haircut here from uh, Brutus. So he, he looked kind of like uh, he looked like when he was working for Only at the end of '84. Change for us from Georgia here with his hair. So there's that. All right. So let's close out the show. As for the Hulk Hogan, Mike Tyson rumors. They sure the Titan will do all they can to fuel the fire for these rumors because it gets Hogan good publicity. Well, there'll be an incredible amount of money to be made from such a match. Vince McMahon will never put Hulk Hogan into a situation where Vince doesn't have complete control of the situation. In the long run, that is what will kill any chance of this taking place because Mike Tyson isn't going to agree to a finish. And even if we go on the theory that perhaps Hulk Hogan will have a chance if he got a quick takedown and use his superior strength while they're on the mat, and Tyson wouldn't have the power punching up to break Hogan's grip. The odds are still in Tyson's favor because he's schooled in genuine fighting situations where Hogan's background in any combat sport is non-existent. And McMahon can't afford to destroy Hogan Smith by putting him in a situation where it was even 90% sure he would win, let alone one where the odds are in the other direction. Simply put, if Tyson KO'd Hulk, he KO'd Titan Sports as well, and the one-day payday wouldn't be worth it in the long run. I mean, <laughs> Greg, to give me any credence any Hulk Hogan and Mike Tyson rumors at this point in time, I think it's pretty asinine because, I mean, there was no way in hell that was going to happen. I did not for a second believe that Mike Tyson would ever face Hogan or any other wrestler. That uh, Mike Tyson was at the height of his powers. There was no way he was getting involved in wrestling and doing a job for anybody. Oh, definitely any job for nobody. <laughs> no way. And, uh, I mean, it, it's just crazy to, to read this in the Observer because this is like some wrestling magazine shit. And it was it wrestling superstars, you know, in this time period. They did the whole dream match deal where Hogan and Tyson, they went over that. I mean, that's something that you would see in a wrestling magazine, not a wrestling newsletter like the Observer at this time, which was 
kind of like the anti-magazines. It's, a, it's really weird reading this in there, I thought. But, um... I mean, it was re- it, there weren't real negotiations and talk, or talks or whatever, though. Yeah, I mean, there, there was talks. I don't know if I would go as far as say there was anything resembling some type of serious negotiations. I mean, as Meltzer would put it in one of the retrospectives years later, Hogan wanted it to be a shoot. <laughs> well, you... <laughs> Hogan is thinking that all I got to do is take Mike to the mat. He thinks he has enough training, which we know he was taught some stuff by Hiro Matsuda. It's not like he had nothing that he can take him down and he's the bigger guy. And it's like, that's not outlandish. It's just we know very little about what he can actually do and what he was actually taught. Here's another thing, too. Who do you think Hogan would have called in a situation like this to help him out and get prepared? Hiro Matsuda. Not, well, not well, not him because he's aligned with the NWA. Well, yeah, Anoki. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Who has the experience of facing a world heavyweight champion boxer like that? Anoki. I think Hogan knew more than what he let on because he didn't need to know. I mean, he didn't need to do it. Once he got to be what he was, why, why put myself in that position? Sure. I can rely on on my gimmick and the stuff I do. I don't need to go out there and put any extra effort in. <laughs> I don't want to. You know what I'm saying? Right. So, uh, so yeah. But, I mean, it's a, it's definitely one of those things where it was something that it got people talking at the time, especially people that read the magazines and saw that and like, wow, what if? What if this? What if that? But that's all it was ever going to be. There's too much money that could have been lost not to mention what could have been made, but what could have been lost because of it. And definitely more on the Titan sports side than Mike Tyson side. Right? Because Mike Tyson, you know, is, is Don, he's Don King's, you know, number one guy. And he's number one boxer in the world. But Titan sports is a, was a whole conglomerate of talent. And then you take away Hulk Hogan and then, you know, have his aura be basically destroyed, so to speak. I mean, you basically put your whole promotion in a bad position, and that wasn't worth it. Not at all. Yep. Too much risk on both sides. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Well, that is it for us, Greg. I appreciate you uh, requesting this show. So uh, the floor is yours right now. Anything you want to uh, talk about? Go ahead. Um, I don't really have anything to promote, uh, except I'm on Twitter. Uh, at Greg Sirota, G-R-E-G-G-S-E-R-O-T-A. And uh, that's really about it. I appreciate you guys uh, having me on the program. Absolutely. We thank you for uh, your request, and thank you for joining us. Awesome stuff. All right, next week on Between the Sheets, we <laughs> we have a section of the show that's longer, that's more pages this entire show that we're doing this week. Oh, no. As we're, go- as we're going back to 2001, where the WF section is 17 pages long. How long? But other than that, 38 pages long. Okay. All right, so we have, uh, it's 2001 in the U.S. wrestling scene. So it's basically WWF and that's it on the indies. But we have all the tertiary stuff to talk about. We have news on the end of WOW magazine. So we'll talk about that. Lots of indie shows going on. We have a divorce to talk about wrestling in Memphis, Tennessee. We have uh, a new, the, the news in the future, the Brian Pillman Memorial Show. 
Howard Brody leaving the presidency in the NWA. We got a wild situation involving the Maximos to talk about. We have John Collins main event championship wrestling stuff to talk about. Yes. Savio Vega retiring. We'll have news on that. We got all kinds of Lucha stuff going on. We got um, news on Vince Russo and its possible future. Got a lot of Joshi Bix to talk about. I know you're excited about that. Well, I was watching we some got, of that in 2001. We got a 1980, 1984 Dream Match from Japan taking place in 2001 to talk about. We got some big crowds of indie shows, major crowds to talk about. We got um, an interesting week of uh, MMA pro wrestling crossovers as deep has Dos Caras Jr. against Kinga Watanabe and Kazuki Fujita versus Mirko Krokop. And boy, does that cause a major issue in New Japan Pro Wrestling. So we'll talk about that and a tragedy taking place with that show involving Brian Johnston. And then we have a World Wrestling Federation where we got a lot of news about the WCW uh, stuff going on at this time with talent, who's endearing themselves, who's not. We got all kinds of other uh, stuff from the torch involving all kinds of different people. We'll have news and, and, and views on. We got TV. We got live SmackDown. We got Raw. And we got SummerSlam 2001 to talk about. And WF and major issues with DirecTV. So all that more next week on Between the Sheets. We may have a guest. I asked somebody. They could do it. So we'll see what happens from here. But as of now, we don't have anybody on the books, but we're going to try to see what we can do. So next week on Between the Sheets, 2001, 21 years ago now. It's insane to think about that. But anyway, that's next week. Greg, thanks again for being with us for this week. We appreciate it. Bix, thank you as always. You're the rock of the show. And this is Chris saying so long from the Peach State of Georgia.
It's a nice day for a white wedding It's a nice day to start again Between the Sheets Patreon Special Edition number 70. I'm your host, Chris Zona, joined as always by my co-host, David Bixen, Span and Bix. It's time to close it out. Part four of Titan Gate 1992. And uh, wow, <laughs> the day we're recording this is the day that uh, on Monday, July 25th, 2022, the Triple H has been installed as the head of creative. Vincent Man made over $150 million today in stocks. <laughs> during the yes. <laughs> I mean, really, I mean, the other, I mean, the really important thing is it's the day the quarterly uh, 8K report came out where they basically said that. So WWE is claiming when people reach out that Vince paid his hush money payments himself, but that because it, it benefited the company, it doesn't really matter, I guess is what they're saying. And so his hush money payments are now being recorded as company spending, and they're redoing old books. So that explains, yes, that also we're recording this a few days after he announced his quote-unquote retirement, which is phrased as a resignation in the SEC filing as well. Yeah, but he made $150 million today. <laughs> yeah. So even when, even, even in adversity, this man still wins. <laughs> well, amazing. So. amazing how that works. So, yes, it's time to talk. Go back thirty years to nineteen ninety-two, part four, Titan Gate. We're gonna pick up where we left off in June. Rick Garner and Bill Kunkel's Rust Stop Radio Show, in Las Vegas. This past Sunday interview, Cheryl Vasquez, the forty-five-year-old upstate New York housewife who picketed the Titan matches last week at Poughkeepsie. Vasquez claimed that one of the cars driven by Derek Russler. When I arrived to the building, I saw a protest and tried to run her over. I wonder who that was. She also said that the other day wrestler's name she wouldn't mention, but said it was one of the biggest stars in the company, was very friendly and apologized for the behavior of some of the other wrestlers. Well. All right, spotlight on Joe Vasquez. The following conversation took place July 12th on Rick Carter and Bill Kunkel's Russell Talk Radio Show in Las Vegas. So I have to be Bill Kunkel and Rick Carter, I guess? Um, Sure. I'll be Cheryl. (laughs) All right, so we start with uh, Kunkel. When this whole ring boy sex scandal broke, the thing that amazed me was the total blasé attitude that most WWF fans seem to have towards this thing. It was just, I think, all kind of jumbled together with steroids. There was no negative response other than obviously people staying home, which the WWF caused on their own. That really is the first... This is, excuse me, this is really is the first protest we've seen. And then Rick chimes in with, let's go ahead and bring Cheryl on. Cheryl, are you there? Yeah, I'm here. How did this whole protest get started? 
well, actually, you can't hate anything until you loved it at first. And I guess you could say we were Doug's biggest fans years ago, but over the years, we've become so offended and outraged, you know, with a lot of different issues. He brought down minorities and made fun of homosexuals and even affected my own children. I have three sons. The oldest is 25. And I even suspected maybe he was doing steroids because he's got a big, beautiful body that all my boys have been trying to get for years. I must discredit myself here because I'm part of the problem, I guess, because I love wrestling and my mentality. Look at those muscles. Look at those muscles. I feel I spent so much money over the years on WWF. I just didn't have the right to complain about it anymore if I didn't do something about it when I got the chance. So I did. And although the protest was small, the end result was beyond our farthest dreams. How many videos? Describing her son, describing her son with a big, beautiful body. That's yeah, that did strike me as weird too. But how many individuals were involved in the protest? Well, there were just five. Three started out. We got permission from the city of Poughkeepsie. They gave us our guidelines, told us what we could do, what we couldn't do. We followed them to the letter. It was very peaceful. We had eight or ten different signs related to the scandals. One that said, "Where's Mel, Terry, and Pat if they're not guilty?" One said, "Sex, drugs, lies, scandals, and child abuse." I happen the person knows something about that, or I wouldn't have put that in. Now okay. Bill chimes in with, Cheryl, you knew quite a few of the ring boys in the upstate New York area. Yes, I did. So this was more of a personal issue to you? It's very personal to me, and I don't really like to talk about it because I've turned everything over to the authorities. They're investigating this, and I feel the kids I knew are victims. I called just the other day to one of them to ask him why he didn't come to our protest, because he said he might do it. He told me he may get his ring job back because he'd been in touch with suspending Rick, the ring announcer and ring crew chief Mel Phillips himself. He told me he was not allowed to talk to me anymore. I said, what do you mean you can't talk to me? He told me he wished he could tell me everything, but he couldn't. He seemed me under terrible pressure. I asked him different questions, different names. He informed me he was in touch with the attorney chairman at Pittsburgh that very morning. This was Friday, just last Friday, and he couldn't talk to me anymore about it. But I think the damage he said has already been done. It's already been handed over to the authorities. Was this individual a minor? He was 14 years old when I met him. But I mean now, in this conversation you had with him last week. Well, he's 2021 20, now. Okay, but you taped a conversation with him? Well... Or you had a conversation with him? I had a conversation with him. That was awkward. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it, I think it comes out that she has been prone to taping conversations. Um, I have something that I have, I think, that Phil had. I have a transcript of a conversation he had with her, but I don't think there's anything we need in there. Um, still interesting. Um, go back to Bill. What kind of reaction did you get from the WWF people, wrestlers, fans in general to the protest? Well, at first, you know, I was a little leery. A lot of the mothers had tickets in their hands, so they were going to buy tickets there. It was like conscious check time for the mothers. We weren't trying to prevent anyone from going in. I mean, those are part of our guidelines. We had a very big effect. One mother stood out in particular. She had two sons with her, and they also had friends with them. She came up to us and told us she had heard about these alleged scandals, but the kids didn't see or didn't know anything about them. The only thing they knew about was Hulk Hogan that he had lied on our senior hall show. Just couldn't believe that one bit salon could harbor so many sick employees. She said this had been a major corporation here in Dutchess County that the people, that the media would have just covered it all over the place. But she really wasn't even aware of the damaging images this new character, Razor Ramon, has. Uh-oh. She doesn't watch the superstars and wrestling challenge TV shows. 
she admitted that, you know, the kids watch it. It's like a babysitter, the television. But she did vow to watch it that weekend, which is an episode when Ramon took fruit and told the kids they didn't need school or books to be like him, that they should take what they want. She said it's going to be a major priority this summer to deprogram her kids. Being that summer was here, the tube wasn't on that much anyway. Lots of parents asked for our numbers and everything. In fact, we would have been in the Meadowlands last night. And this is a fact. We had notified the police ahead of time. We have such a huge reaction to this that uh, we're new to this, and I don't know how to go back and get so many people together to do this. We're not through yet. We're only just begun. The kids. Editor's note. I believe Vasquez referring to the four members of their friend crew in the Poughkeepsie area. Thought it would be great and fun to be at a protest. All of them had something. I made a crap about one thing or another about WF. They even said they would go to Stanford, Connecticut. The rest were another story. I don't know if I'm even allowed to say any names. Should I say a name? Sure, go ahead. Well, I don't know which one he was, but the nasty boys came and saw us carrying our signs, and we were on the side while we were supposed to be moving constantly. They tried to run us over. They put their accelerators to the gas and laughed. They yelled the city at us. I'm a mother, okay, and this isn't right to do. There were crowds of kids with their parents. The security was there. Jerry Sagnatovich sags, so disgusting and abusive verbally, a lot of parents just shook their heads and said, gee, I wish the kids wouldn't have seen this, but I guess it's good that they did. And they shook their heads and supported us after the scene. There's another wrestler there, very, 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 very well-known one. He was very sympathetic and supportive. In fact, he even tried to calm, quiet down Sags and Skinner the Swamp thing. Steve Kern, yeah? Yeah, he told them that he, we weren't being abusive. We were no threat to them. We had our civil rights, too, and they should be quiet. He actually tried to quiet them down. He's a very well-known wrestler. But Saganovich was horrible. There was also a mere ring rat girl that I had known. <laughs> she pulled up on the sidewall with her mercury sable and tried to back it over on me. And she went through the back door, too, with several other dear friends of Vincent Mann's that allegedly worked for them. <laughs> Bring wow. that girl. <laughs> try to try to run over. <laughs> oh, that, that is crazy. Going in through the back door, that ring rat. Uh, they cook for you. They'll keep you company. They'll try to run over protesters with their mercury sable. <laughs> oh my god. See, I mean, it's such a shame that, you know, the wrestlers decided to use such a derogatory name for women who were so loyal to them, you know, but still, very, that, that's, a, that, that's quite some loyalty to the, to the World Wrestling Federation, <laughs> not even to any specific wrestlers. Anyway. I know, Al Marvez has a question here, Bix. Yeah, okay, he didn't make that clear in the intro. Uh, I was wondering if you're going to be at Long Island August 1st at the Nassau County Coliseum. The reason being that is WWF's hottest spot in the country right now. Alex, that's also a bit difficult because I've never been down there myself. We have to figure out how to get us all down there. It's just not me anymore. And I urge anyone that's within listening distance, you parents out there, unite. We have a little like Ghostbusters logo with a red circle and a WF's in the middle. Just wear that and you can get in there on your own. I'm really not familiar with that area, but I think for the long run, Mr. Man is recycling his trash and taking it to England. We're really going to go for him when he comes back to the States. It may take a little longer because now there are a lot of people involved. I just don't know how to do this. I'm only one person. Now Rick comes back in with, I understand the police came out at some point? They came out about four times. 
W official, and I don't know who he was, and I usually know all of them. A short, heavy set man with black hair came out of a big white church limousine and said, Get them the hell out of here. The road agent Tony Gurria was standing here. The police had come by four times, and this police official even said the civic center owns the sidewall, which is the only place where we were allowed to protest. That is where all the wrestlers park. Four times police came, and they were just checking to make sure nobody was getting violent with us. And then we had permission. The officers told the WF they were sorry, but there was nothing they could do about it because they had the right to be there. They did everything in their power to get rid of us, including telling us they owned the sidewalk. They wanted to see our permit. We did not need a permit because there weren't that many people there. The security supported us, though. It's supposed to be a privately owned civic center by Poughkeepsie businessmen. They claim to be a nonprofit organization. Also, one supporter could come to the protest, but did call a local newspaper here and told them about it. They said, oh, well, gee, you know, we're in a hurry because of the holiday weekend. Now, mind you, this was July 2nd, but they wanted to get out early. They're only half a block down the road from the civic center, but they didn't want to cover it. I've been touching them to see if they would do any stories about on these alleged scandals, which, you know, is a chalk sport. They've never done anything about it. Mm-hmm. There's your I, mindset. Right yep. I understand the WWF had not been in Poughkeepsie in a year before this show. About a year, yeah. There's a little independent card slated with Abdul the Butcher and the Sheik, and mysteriously it was canceled. That's two weeks later, it's announced on the day it was coming in. They had been here for several years. It used to do TV tapings there. Huh. Okay, I'm curious now when they had last been there. Um, you know, they quit doing TV tapings there in 86. I know okay. they ran some house shows. Okay, there was a September twelfth, ninety one house show. Uh, there was a G okay, there were four shows in ninety. So if she's talking about a gap, it would have been a bigger gap, right? I mean, it would have been earlier. Yeah. Um, few shows in ninety in eighty nine. She could just be remembering wrong. It could be a bunch of shows in eighty eight. Yeah. Because at this point, then, it's just a two-year gap. Yeah. You know, so, yeah, I think she's remembering that wrong. Yeah, see, probably. Yeah, because I see shows in 87, yeah. So, I don't know what she's talking about. Uh, so, all right, my turn now is Bo Kunkel. Cheryl, when did you find out about these things that were going wrong in the World Wrestling Federation? Was it through newsletters or through the media, or was it something you had a hunch about a long time ago? Well, I had a hunch about it. I got involved in because there were several young ring boys and we befriended because I would take a lot of the kids to the back where the rest used to come in. We have a scrapbook about a foot high filled with pictures and autographs. Anyway, I met these ring boys and they came from, I guess you could say, dysfunctional families. They ride their bikes there. I always had a great big old car. So they would ask me, oh, Mrs. V, can we put our bike in the trunk of your car? And I said, sure. So I went to the trunk and they had to wait for them to get the rings down so they get their bikes back. And every single time we knew the restaurants for us to go to afterwards, this man himself would go to the Seacrest Diner down on Wappinger Falls, and we'd always go there and have a hamburger and a soda with the kids, hoping that a wrestler would pass by and say something nice to them. All the time, Mel Phillips was there with the Marine Boys. I bumped into them many times during my travel shopping, and I was asking, gee, why are you always with Mel Phillips? Oh, well, we stayed at the so-and-so motel here, you know, on Route 9, this and that. And I say, but why? You live in Poughkeepsie. Mel treats us good. Mel's good to us. They were kind of unprotective about him. Over the past six months, I've learned a lot of things that weren't right. When I suspected something was going on with the boys, I had told some. They say their employees, Vincent Mann, I don't know if they're scouts or what, but I do have proof that they work for him in a small capacity. He used to come over here, many cups of, yeah, many cups of tea, and tell me things that were going on. 
they have free run of what used to be in the Greenwich, Connecticut, and now Stanford. They told me about these blow-up dolls and they have officers in the closet. They nicknamed it Big John and a big sex organ. And Bobby Heenan and Gorilla Monsoon often joked about it. They told me many, many, many stories. I could write a book myself. <laughs> big John. <sighs> wow. And then Kevin Dunn hires a friend of his that had no known qualifications, and his nickname ends up being Big John. Well, his name is John. So his name is he's John, big, he a, and he's a large man. And he was but, a big, and he was a big man. So yeah, still but they also had Big John Stud who was working there. So yeah, they've had some Big Johns over the years. So what do you think of Cheryl Vasquez? Probably having never heard her name before this. I mean, she seems genuine, at least. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. Um, I think the most interesting thing to come out of this is the stuff about these were all local kids, but they're staying at the hotel with the wrestlers. Yes. And she's like, why are you doing that? You live here. <laughs> why are you staying with Mel Phillips at a hotel room? Mm-hmm. So... It also kind of makes you wonder if one of her own kids wasn't part of this as well. It's just yeah, not saying that. Right. I mean, I didn't, wouldn't want to go too far with that line of discussion, but I get your point. Um, I'm just saying this part of the ring, this one, the ring boys or something that's involved. I mean, I didn't say that involved with Mel Phillips. No, I know what you in mean. Particular, yeah. But could be one of the ring boys or could have worked in that capacity. Right. That's what I'm trying to say. Yes, I'm not yeah, saying yeah, that yeah, he, yeah, he yeah. was touching everything. Right. But he met definitely friends, so to speak. Yeah, but this is... And how about the Nasty Boys? Don't su- that don't surprise me. No, no, no. That it was them. I just wonder who the very, 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 very well-known wrestler was. The one who wasn't Steve Curran, right. Uh, shall I pull up the results? I'm... Yeah, go ahead. All right, let's see. I got an idea, and I'll say it before you read the results, if he's on there. Okay, so your results? I, was, I, think, it was, I think it was Savage. Uh, He's not on the show. Okay. So your results right. are Jim Powers defeated Kato. Bob Backlund, okay, that could be one, defeated Skinner. Eh. Shawn Michaels pinned Tito Santana. Nails defeated Virgil. Rick Martel defeated Tatanka by countout. And the Ultimate Warrior and Legion of Doom defeated Papa Shango and the Nasty Boys. Okay, I will go then with... Maybe it's Hellwick! <sighs> that he's much more mild-mannered with his lower steroid intake. Yeah, and he doesn't like homosexuals. What he views as homosexuals, at least. And, well, in some yes. cases, with the protests, probably actual homosexuals, but yes, I get your point. Um, I could also see it being Hawker Animal, maybe. Yeah. Or Tito. I mean, very, very, very well known, though, really. If depending well, on how Tito literally been you're there taking for that. years. Sure, sure. But depending on how literally you're taking that, that sounds most like, based on who's on the show, Warrior Road Warriors. Yeah. Um, they're also in Fort Pierce that night, by the way. And was Sa- yeah, yeah, Savage was on that show facing Flair, defending his title. So, two different crews. Yeah, I, I think, I'm thinking Hellwick. Cause, cause, with the, with the uh, subject matter involved. Despite ha- the fact that he hates children, you mean? <laughs> well... To hear this entire show, support Between the Sheets on Patreon for just $5 per month.
go to patreon.com slash between the sheets.